Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. You're not going to believe it next week. I mean, we're going to have the greatest show you've ever seen. You're going to see blood guaranteed. Blood as red as my shirt. That is a great point. Thank you, sir. I still love your nose. I see that. <laughs> Mike, while you're in ass-kissing mode, why don't you uh, kiss Sting's ass as well? Excuse me? Right into the food table. Oh, that's great. Planning on that for supper. You've got to be freaking kidding Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 33. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. On this episode, we're talking about February 2005, building up to Against All Odds 2005. I'm Gar Kidney. I'm joined by Liam. Liam, hey. Hey. I've gotten the intro down. We're 33 episodes in. I I I have a a a solid, reliable intro. Yeah, that's like a sign of maturity as a host, I feel. When you can nail the intro, no need for, like, second takes, third takes, that's when you know you got it. Yeah, we only mess up the intro on the Patreon shows where I have to remember different show names. And then it's like, welcome everybody to, oh, what? <laughs> welcome everybody to Rain, uh, no, not that one. It's like Rain Takers, we were talking on the last episode of Review It For Her, how my brain just could not recall the name of that show at any time it needed it, and thankfully it's gone, but uh, you can listen to all those episodes on Patreon. Not that the show is gone, it was a good show, great show, tremendous show, worth every penny on Patreon, just the show name is gone. Mm. It, like, it's so good that if I weren't a best friend, I would subscribe to the Patreon and become a best friend. If you weren't a best friend of yourself... Mm-hmm. You would go and you would go and subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, and you know if 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 I needed more friends in my life, I know where I would go to find them, and that would be to patreoncom pod Kidding me? Kidding me? Of course is what I meant. Don't go to the other one. I'd go. I'd go to tnachad.com. Yeah, of course. That's where easy. all of that's where all of my best friends hang out. You can also try zombiewcw.com. That works too. Oh yeah. Or you could say order protoaew.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are very TNA pilled lately. And we do have our, our most patrons ever at the moment. So thank you very much for that. You can go join them. See what everyone's loving at the moment. Only like 950 more and I can quit my job. That is Liam's uh, loose Patreon goal or hard Patreon goal, depending. <laughs> uh, the 1000 quit my job patrons. Yeah. So if you want, and then you can all unsubscribe and then I will be destitute and it'll be very funny. So as a good bit, you should do it. Yeah. If you, if you just want to ruin Liam's life in a way that makes him feel like he's made it, mm-hmm. that that's, that's a good bit. It is a good bit. So go do that. I made a, a mild tactical error before recording. Oh no. So I had a hot chocolate there since Christmas. And it was one of those where you Ugh. put the stick in. Like, it's it's not as in, like, sitting in the cup for a month. <laughs> I was like, sounds awful. <laughs> but it, I, I, it was, I got it from my aunt. 
and it's been sitting there in the, the press and I was, it was like 35 minutes before we were set to record. So it's like, you know what? Before we record, I'll treat myself to a hot chocolate. And, and then I drank it and I finished it. And then it was like five minutes before we were set to record that I realized the cup I use for the hot chocolate is the cup I usually use for my drink for the podcast. And then I had to wash it out quite quickly and some of the hot chocolate had hardened and stuck to the side of the cup. <laughs> I like how you're like, I can simply cannot get a second cup. No, this it is my Chippendale Pluto cup, which I got in Disneyland. And it is essential and it must be brought with me at all times. And unfortunately, <laughs> that means so that the drink I currently have tastes a little bit like chocolate, but that's, that's something we're just going to have to deal with. Don't you drink milk anyway and yeah that, that to be fair there is worse things that could taste like chocolate you're just having ch- you're just having chocolate milk <laughs> and there was some marshmallows too so there's a little little hint of marshmallow in there this sounds like not an error this sounds like something that's gone very well yeah it's, it's turned out perfect for me really when you think about it mm. so how are you <laughs> fine how are you I'm I'm doing okay. I was watching a, a TikTok today on, on on our TikTok at TNA History, and it was this dude who was telling his his multiple TikTok fans, I assume that the the TikTok had like forty thousand likes, which is worrying in its own way. But he was telling the people that they should not, when people say "How are you?" they shouldn't just say "Fine" or "I'm doing good" or even just say you know say how you actually feel. You should tell an elaborate story about your life, and the example he used is like. Bro, I was on my way here to meet you and I saw somebody get T-boned in a car and it was wild, bro. It was crazy to see that and crazy to experience it, bro. And I'm like, wait, where, where? Let's do, let's do that. (laughs) Where have we gone wrong with these people that they're like, they're trying to like min-max conversations. It's like, here's how you get the most out of saying, how are you to somebody? That owns, let's do it. Garrett, how are you? Well... I got hit by a car on the way to this podcast and it broke my neck and I'm lying here in a hospital bed. (laughs) Doesn't it need to be a real story from your history? That's my big problem. Nothing interesting has happened to me recently. (laughs) And nothing interesting happens to most people, which is the Mm. reason when when you're asked, how are you? You're like, I can't actually say an interesting thing happened to me because nothing interesting happened to me. I feel like you don't even have to min-max that. I feel like it's like... If you had something interesting happen, you would say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's as if, like, we are all leading these fascinating, interesting lives and just deciding not to tell each other about it. Yeah, no, if anything mildly amusing happens to me, I'm like, I'm telling everybody. Yeah, if I was on the way to beat you for dinner, which was this hypothetical scenario, and I did, in fact, witness a car accident literally outside the restaurant, I'd be like, look at this fucking thing I just saw. Yeah, 100%. I wouldn't be sitting there thinking, oh god, he's asked me how I am. What do I say? Uh, I I have a... Okay, I have a story. Mm -hmm. The other day, two of which of them, in fact, I was going for a brisk jog in some nice 37 degree weather. And as I was doing it, I I was walking like like in a... Like on my campus, but in like an actual building, building, builded up area. It wasn't like out like on like a field or something. I was walking down there and I just started hearing like buzzing. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and there was just like a ton of bees. <laughs> <laughs> like, like 60 of them just in the air. Did you go like full Nick Cage from The Wicker Man? 
I, I started running because I think I'm allergic to bees. And so I started bolting down like the side of this building. So basically it's like a, there's like a giant field in the middle and then there's like building on one side, building on the other side. So I started running down the side of the building and I could just hear the buzzing following me the whole time. And I was like, ah, so I ran, cut a hard left, ran to the other side and started walking up the other side. And as I was walking up the other side, I hear the buzzing and they're on the other side too. And I'm like, oh shit. They've gone for a pincer attack. <laughs> I went, oh, evasive maneuver. I cut out the back way of that second side and I'm like going into it and there's a field and I'm like, oh, a field full of flowers. And I'm like, well, I've, I've, I'm dying today. And I, I run through the field of flowers and they don't follow me through the field of flowers. And I'm like, cool, I'm safe. And I, I finally start making my way back to where I came from around the whole other way. And as I do it, and I was, I went into a whole new section under there. I start hearing the buzzing again. I'm like, God damn it. Why is there several swarms of bees on this campus right now? So I keep running, duck around to the left, go into the library, because in the library there's like uh, sliding doors. And also no bees generally. But that, well, this is my theory. There's sliding doors, <laughs> bit in the middle, sliding doors. So there's like a buffer. It's like, like when you're coming in from space. It's like the, yeah. the oxygen, like the compression chamber thingy. And I was just, I went through it. And I was like, how is this happening? I've never experienced a phenomena like this. I thought that bees were dying too. There seems to be lots of them in Australia. It was specifically in one area, I guess. Do you think they worked out where you live? Um, I was I was thinking about that. <laughs> they followed you home. <laughs> well, I was like, because I, I had to leave through that same door of the library to get home. <laughs> so I was like, are they just going to be waiting for me up the side <laughs> with with chains and and pipes? I like the way they're waiting for you too. It's like other people probably left that library. It's like that's not him. <laughs> yeah, well, because I didn't see anyone else running in fear. Oh. <laughs> uh. If you start hearing buzzing on this podcast, you do have permission to start running. <laughs> Just run through my bay window next to me. Carry the microphone with you, though, because it would probably be good content. <laughs> I don't think the cord's long enough. Imagine putting Liam runs from bees in the title. Tremendous. <laughs> That's good SEO. People love B-movie. Yeah, then you could put Jerry's uh, Seinfeld in there, too. Just put all the names of everyone in that movie. Mm-hmm. And the entire script to B-movie. I think people love that, too. That is a that is a good bit. <laughs> people love the, the B- uh, People loved it about three years ago. I don't know if they love it now. No, that's the way memes work. They just don't die. They go from funny to annoying, and then spread from people who do it as a bit to people who don't get the bit and then do it annoyingly. It's like the Die Hard is a Christmas movie thing, mm. which started as, like, no one was ever like, guys... <laughs> I have this revelation that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. It was a bit. People were like, what's your favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> it's Die Hard. And then people were like, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. And they made like the serious part of their personality that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. It's like, no, it was a bit all along. Stop taking bits seriously. Yeah. I, it It's like, I have that discussion with people because I don't like Christmas movies. Mm. And and I'm like, I mean, that's Die Hard, but I don't want to have this conversation. It was released in June. Yeah, it's Christmas themed. It's fine. I'm gonna start saying that um, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles is my favorite Christmas movie. There you go. Despite the fact that it's centered around Thanksgiving, that's more or less Christmas. It's only a month away. But if but but you could literally replace Thanksgiving in that movie with Christmas, and it would work just as well, if not better. Yeah. So I, 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 that is now my my favorite Christmas movie is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. 
And now in five years, there will be people earnestly arguing that that's a Christmas movie and you'll be annoyed. Yeah. I won't be annoyed because I'll be like, this is my my legacy. This is what I've left on this world. I, I saw the tweet of the guy who did the dog sitting in the burning room. This is fine meme this week. Oh, yeah, that guy. And he was like, that meme is 10 years old this week. And I really don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> mm. And that like, this is my defining legacy. This meme, which took off and still persists 10 years later, which is like, that's a thing. Like, that that is more of a legacy than most people have, but also like that six panel comic defines him, but also has made him money. So it's the complicated legacy of making something people like. That's what our legacy is gonna be. Yeah, when we're we're freaking fifteen years deep into this podcast, we've run out of TNA to cover, and we're still here. <laughs> what a what a dream! I like to imagine that we we have we have diversified our our production at that point. No, we'll just be a weekly impact review. <laughs> oh, gosh. When we eventually actually catch up, it will be a weekly inter- impact review show in the year 2035. I think, like, a wave of anxiety just hit me. <laughs> uh, you can relieve your anxiety by heading to tnhat.com. I think you're gonna be like, we're fucking HelloFresh. I haven't checked if we, if we have an ad read. If we do, it'll be added in post. But you can head to tnhad.com where we had a ton of content over the holidays. We had our, our 2004 TNA draft, which, spoilers, Liam won. Oh, I did, I'm the best. Liam has finally defeated me in a draft. It is now 2-1-1 in drafts because we drew a Ring of Honor AEW draft. Mm. But I'm still, I'm, I still have the winning record. That's all that matters. But, uh... You know, if we look at the, the the statistics, I feel like mine always get more discussion. Ah, I am the silent majority. It's classic. Yeah. We also had our 2014 end of year awards. So you can hear us talking about the best of TNA from 2004, or perhaps the least worst of TNA in 2004. It's like four good things. We also wrapped up Review It For Her, so the last episode of that is up. We also did Rain Takers on Wrestle Kingdom 7 from 2013, plus plenty on Wrestle Kingdom 17 from 2023. That's this year. That is this year's Wrestle Kingdom. And also, if you missed it on Christmas Day, free on the Patreon feed, you can listen to our Days of Thunder crossover episode covering the second World Wrestling All-Stars show. All of that, all of it, has been in your Patreon feed over the last month between episodes. TNHR.com, Patreon.com slash KiddingMe. Our next Patreon review show will be covering 2012 PWG. So we'll do the year of 2012 PWG. Then we'll do the first season of Lucha Underground. Then we'll do 2013 PWG. Then season two of Lucha Underground. Then we probably won't keep going on PWG. We'll probably go somewhere else after that. But then every second series after that will be the rest of Lucha Underground. So those are our upcoming plans on Patreon and the recent stuff you've gotten on Patreon. Also, show notes, full show notes on all of February 2005. Also, the ad-free episode is up there as well on the $1 tier. All of that, tnhad.com, patreon.com slash kidding me. Wahoo. I guess before we get into the episode itself, this is the first time we've recorded the main show since the passing of Don West. Mm. Tragic news that hit right at the end of the year. I think it was December 30th. Uh, of course, this show, named after the iconic You've Got to Be Kidding Me call of Don West, which Tom Hannafin paid tribute to, actually, over over the weekend at Hard to Kill. If you watched Josh take that big bump off the ladder, there's a You've Got to Be Kidding Me. There's actually two of them. Uh, I guess, like, from before we, like, delve into why we like Don West, it, it was very heartwarming to see all of the 
people that he's worked with come out and, and say such nice words about him. Yeah, it's said often like a guy nobody had a bad word to say about, but it really seems to be true of Don West that not a person on earth had a bad word to say about him. Everyone that he uh, worked with seemed to come away from working with him with nothing but pleasant uh, experiences, which is a rare, rare thing. Yeah, there's a, a full show on the Wrestling Observer feed uh, with Mike Tanay. I think it's free as well. I don't think it's for subscribers. I believe it is free. Where it's just an hour of him and Dave and the, the Garrett I resent in wrestling for no other reason than he's pushing into my Garrett SEO. <laughs> mm. And other people are like mentioning other Garrett. It's like Garrett and Dave. It's like me? It's like, no, the other Garrett. God damn it. But there's a lovely one hour episode with Mike Tanay just sharing memories of Don West and memories of calling shows with Don West. And it's not, honestly, it's not really about the Don West, the wrestling commentator. It's obviously more about Don West, the person, the human being, the man. Mm. And it's lovely to hear those perspectives. But yeah, like even like I honestly didn't expect WWE even to say anything. And it was very nice that they did a shout out on SmackDown. Like AEW did the, the graphic impact, obviously did a 10 bell salute before Hard to Kill as well as a video package on it. It's it's just nice. Like we, we talked about a few like probably like 10 episodes back at this stage about how Don West really wasn't appreciated in his time. Like he got mm. an unnatural amount of hate for a guy who was, as we like we covered on this show by two thousand three, already a good announcer. Yeah, don't I don't I don't get it <laughs> because like we're in the years now where he was getting that kind of backlash, and I I I couldn't even imagine having those feelings because I think he's like. Like I don't even have moments where I think he's bad. No, like I I think he's always consistently good and when he's at his best he adds to everything uh, i like the kind of hybrid of like mike Tanay's analytical style and then don west brings the emotion to it and i think that's a great combination i i i couldn't imagine watching this and thinking and going away with the take that this guy's not good at what he's doing yeah because i was like the wrestling awards are the good like encapsulation of how people felt in the moment and, like, Mike Tanay won Announcer of the Year for the first four years of TNA history. And Don ranked among worst announcers in, I think, every year and even won it in 07. And it's, like, it just truly boggles my mind that people saw those two sitting next to each other. As you said, a perfect professional wrestling announce team where Don brings the energy and enthusiasm, Tanay brings the knowledge and like the, the, the ability to call moves and bring that extra historical context. Like they, they perfectly cover off each other's shortcomings. They make the person next to them better. Like Tanay was never as good an announcer with Taz as he was with Don West. And I, I think very, very highly of, with, uh, of Mike Tanay. But that's like an indisputable fact. He was a better announcer with Don West next to him than he was with Taz. And some of that is because he was calling a better product. But even that, some of the product was terrible in like 07, 08. And he still is a better announcer with Don West next to him. Don West made the guy better because Don West was great at his job. Like, there's, uh, I, I, the, the, the like historical record has thankfully been corrected, I think, over the last five years in particular, as, you know, all of the crazy moments that we've covered, like the Elix Skipper Cage walk, like all of that stuff. Like when people watch that and just see the Don West reaction and hear the Don West reaction and realize he elevated that. He made it better because he was damn good at his job. And it does warm my heart that they didn't get the love they deserved at the time. Well, Tanae did. Don West didn't. And over time, that did correct itself. And I think we see a lot of it 
uh, personally just from posting impact clips to the Twitter account. We'll get you'll get so many people going. Wow, Don West was so great. What a call by Don West. Mike Tanay and Don West are so good together on like all of these clips that we post. Mm. So you can tell that like people now perhaps separated from the product at the time because maybe that was some of it. They were projecting their their views of the product onto Don West at times. And maybe now that there's some space between the product and the person that they're able to just acknowledge how good he was. But the thing I enjoy the most about Don West is I felt like from 2002 to now, we got to see someone and hear someone more appropriately uh, fall in love with pro wrestling. Mm. And I think that is such an interesting dynamic uh, for to see on a, uh, on a product like this and something that I don't think I, you've ever like, I don't think that's ever happened before where you've been able to see someone become a fan of pro wrestling through being a part of the show. And I, I just think that's so interesting. That's so compelling. And you get, I just got to give, um, give props to that. Cause that's, that's a really fun thing to be able to do. Yeah. And I think that's maybe part of the reason people didn't like him, that it was a little gatekeeping-y that like, he wasn't a wrestling fan. He wasn't he like he knew like the broad strokes of wrestling, but he was never like a big wrestling guy. He wasn't even like a, a television sports announcer. He came from the world of selling stuff on the Shop at Home Network. So I think there was a little bit of people expected him to be terrible, and I don't even think he was ever terrible. Like even when you listen to the early shows, he's very excitable, and it's a very different kind of announcing. But I never thought he detracted from the show. Like when he's going nuts over like basic wrestling moves, it does make the basic wrestling moves seem cooler <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. It doesn't detract from the show that he's like, I've just seen a Hurricane Rana, and that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. No, it adds to it. Like that, and that, like there is a an earnestness to it. There is a sincerity to it because I think that the big point of comparisons people have drawn for like the influence of Don is Pat McAfee, and for me the big difference is Pat feels like he's performing and he is like he's performing yeah. that enthusiasm he's going out there and he's he's performing being like that high energy and I think that's just who Don was which I think made, made Don stand out all the more that like he's not doing an act he's not playing a role he is going out there and he is sincerely enthusiastically enjoying the things he's calling and as I said that just elevates it Don West felt genuine, mm. and that's something that like you can't really recreate. I um I also watched his like heel turn the other day. Oh, it's great! And I was sitting there and I was like, man, this guy would have been a tremendous manager too, because he did the like the babyface managing act with Red, which was like he was re- he only did it for a couple months because it's one of those things that got lost in the shuffle as Hogan and Bischoff came in because he did it toward the end of two thousand nine. And I thought that, like, there was so much potential in that act as a babyface. But as you said, like, he did that heel turn. And I'm excited to listen back to, like, full shows of heel Don. Because I actually think he was really good in that role, too. Like, there's a whole bit he does where he is trying to prove that Christopher Daniels is suicide. And it's (laughs) sensational stuff. And, like, my favorite Don West call during the heel run is he tries to argue in the Steel Asylum match with the big red bars that Amazing Red has an unfair advantage in that match because he blends in with the red bars <laughs> and like that is just tremendous he was so good at his job 
And I'm very glad that people have increasingly seen that in recent years, and we've seen the the outpouring of support and love for Don. And like going back to those early shows where he'd do those big pitches, where they would like just set a minute and a half aside and say, "Don, sell next week's show," and the card would be a bit shit. It would be like, "Oh, you get the Harris Bros in a first blood match." And you're like, Don West would talk people into the building just based on those like average early NWA TNA cards, and. That's that's what he did best. He was a salesman and he sold professional wrestling like few else. And like if you like if you want to like do the math on who has drawn the most money in the history of TNA wrestling, Don's probably like top 5, especially if you include the merch stuff in. Yeah, when you think about all the merch stuff, all the brown bag, all of that, like who made this company most money? Don is up there. Don is like one of the people in the history of TNA that has made TNA the most money. Yeah, he's great. And it's nice that the public perception is coming around to that too. Mm. So yeah, rest in peace, Don. You will be dearly, dearly missed. I have my, my Don micro brawler in my desk, which has been here for like six months. And I just saw it like that. I, I even like I forgot it was there. And I was recording the, the link to the cast game of the year a couple hours after the announcing of his passing came out. And I just saw it on my desk. And then I nearly cried because it's like, oh, Don's just there. And I said, he's like, he's in the logo of our show because the show is based on his catchphrase and yeah rest in peace Don the rest of the Link to the Cars podcast is like man Garrett's getting really <laughs> emotional about Elden Ring winning game of the year <laughs> yeah because we were sitting down to do the actual game of the year part because we've done all the other categories at that stage so we were doing like the actual game of the year category which ended up being like three and a half hours and yeah it was like two hours after you know having to draft all the tweets and stuff like that about Don and it's like I gotta, I gotta drag myself together to actually do two, three hours of unrelated podcasting at the moment. Well, it being unrelated probably helped yeah. to focus on something completely different from wrestling. But speaking of focusing on wrestling, 2005 TNA, February, Liam. How'd you feel about the month of February? It was alright. Yeah, I felt like the, the quality of the impacts dropped down a little. Like, in December and January, it felt like there was a lot more of a conscious effort to put at least interesting matches on television, even if, even if they didn't turn out to be particularly good ones. But here, it's it's very much back to the, the format, maybe, from last year, where it's there's maybe a decent main event, but it's a lot more squash matches on the undercards. Kind of felt like a, a filler month of TV that led to a pretty solid pay-per-view. Yeah, it's interesting like that they tend to set the pay-per-view cards pretty early in the month. Mm. In that like we did have the top two matches, top three matches in fact, I think. I think we already had Abyss and Hardy, Styles and Daniels and Jarrett and Nash set by even like the first at the end of the first impact. And then they just kind of like job done, matches made instead of like really building to it, which I think might be the the biggest criticism. Like they don't really hard sell the matches they make. The matches make sense and they do do some build to varying degrees of effect, but th- there's not really like the hot angle for these matches, is there? They don't really like start a build at the start of the month and work it all the way up to the pay-per-view they kind of just go here's what's happening at the pay-per-view and then they build backwards Mm. it's like here's the matches and then some stuff and then we'll do the matches (laughs) yeah which i don't i mean i don't know if it's a bad thing necessarily everything did kind of feel like worth it Mm. and then like you would ask the question like they basically set the cash and Hoyt, not Dallas, Cash and Hoyt against AMW match very early in the month and then didn't really build to it. But then they're also like, how much more build do I want to a Cash and Hoyt against AMW match? And like, plus that's kind of a combination which has a little bit of history too. Mm. 
So you can kind of just go, these guys are back at it again. Yeah, from the, the first episode of Impact with the, the tag title change. Mm. Well, it was probably a better match, but still. But before we get into the shows themselves, let's start with the news of the month. A relatively light month, which I found quite interesting because all of a sudden PW Torch, which has had a lot of TNA scoops for the first like two and a half years so far, suddenly had a lot less. And I was thinking, mm. all right, Swinger left, Gilberti left, Watts left. Piper left and I think like one of those first three was probably like I don't it's probably not Piper but like Swinger Gilberti Watts I think one of those was their main source mm. I mean we've, we've always kind of said that we thought it was Gilberti I did often read it in the voice of Glenn Gilberti so yeah perhaps and someone who is perpetually online so mm. like maybe it was just a quiet month maybe just nothing happened but it it did like it, it was striking how like you you dip into the the torch newsletter and there'd be like one note which was the the impact taping results or something it's like you guys usually have like four like columns worth of tna news and all of a sudden you have none that's conspicuous <laughs> yeah it also perhaps like you know maybe the company's just flowing a little bit mm, people are happy everyone's kind of knows what it is where they're at and they're just doing their month of TV. Because it's also only a month. Like, we can't set up a whole... Like, like this could just be a a random month in the mix where not a lot happens. Mm. So, if we go to next month and there's triple the, the stories again, then we'll know that, like, oh, it was just this one time. We have to see if a pattern emerges. That's true. We have to keep an eye on this. Because <laughs> who else will... <laughs> The main story of the month, Scott Hall missed the February 1st TV tapings in Orlando because he was hospitalized after partying way too hard on the way back from a show they did in Korea. They showed a couple of clips of that Korea show. They showed Jarrett defending the title against an unnamed opponent in the main event. It was actually AJ, but I guess it makes sense why they didn't want it. I was really trying to like work it out and I was like, ah, oh, it's AJ. And then I was like, put two and two together. It's like, oh, they don't want to show AJ losing to Jarrett. Which was probably the right call. But it's like, yeah, Jarrett goes all the way over to Korea to defend the NWA title and they do everything everything in their power would not show who he's defending it against because it is AJ. But uh, on the way back from that, apparently Scott Hall got, got very, very, very drunk and had to be hospitalized and missed the taping. He was supposed to be on the pay-per-view on Against All Odds. It was supposed to be Hall and Bobby Roode against DDP and Monty Brown, which is actually originally pitched as a singles match. It was kind of, they were kind of lucky they pivoted to a tag in the first place. It was meant to be Hall against DDP in the first place, but they pivoted to a tag. Hall obviously missed the show. They, they kind of loosely explained it. They were like, Scott Demore has bought out the contract of Scott Hall and put Eric Young in the match instead. I'm like, really? <laughs> he just has faith in EY. He really does, despite the fact that they lost the tag titles last month. But, you know, they are an established tag team, so maybe he thinks that tag team continuity is more important. So there, there is some conflicting uh, news about, like, just, just the kind of shape Hall was in. But by all accounts, he was relatively clear-headed on the shows. He didn't seem to be too bad. But the thing, apparently, is that he cannot handle overnight trips. Because, as we talked about, he lives 15 minutes away from Universal. So he's just, like, literally popping down to the theme park, doing his match at Angle, and then going straight home. Whereas, like, a, a long trip to Korea, he, he has a lot of time by himself and a lot of a time where he has to probably fill dead time, either on a flight or before shows and that seems to be and like apparently like he admits that uh, according to the torch hall doesn't deny his lack of ability to control his impulses 
because he admits he's an alcoholic and practically begs people not to let him go on trips at this point in his career but the offer was made and he took it and it backfired on everybody because he needs to be around his support system he needs to be around his like his family and a support group and when he's not incidents like this happen and he misses television tapings and like this is the end of scott hall's run until 2007 until then he no shows another show then so that this is obviously like scott hall passed away last year that it's it's no secret the demon scott hall has battled long throughout his career and like as we were mentioning we were enjoying his work like he wasn't blowing the doors off the place but he was a welcome presence on the show and it, it's just sad once again his demons have gotten the better of him scott hall kind of like has this not maybe not unknown but like this not talked about entire history with tna he's like kind of been a semi-consistent presence he was there at the beginning he was here at the beginning of impact he shows up again 2007 shows up again during the monday night wars like scott hall's kind of a tna guy yeah for a guy who's probably made 20 tna appearances in his life maybe 30 he was on a lot of the important shows as you said he was on the very first show and he was one of the major stars he was a surprise return on the first major pay-per-view he headlined the second pay-per-view in the six-man tag and as you said he, he was part of the most watched segment in the history of the company which was the hulk hogan debut where him and waltman tried to to get their jobs back or whatever the hell that segment was about but like he was part of that segment what that that most watched episode most watched segment in company history scott hall was in so for a guy who as i said probably made 30 appearances in company history he, he certainly chose him you know how to pick his spots. Yeah, this is, this is the end of Hall. He was pulled from the pay-per-view match, obviously, and he does not appear again until 2007, in which he's pulled from another pay-per-view match <laughs> that does not appear again until 2010. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Final Resolution is estimated to be doing 25,000 to 28,000 buys on its original live run, most likely both due to word of mouth and because they pushed the replay hard on television. Because Dave notes that, like, against or notes that Turning Point particularly got a, a big boost in replay buys, probably based off the strength of the Triple X AMW cage match in particular. But he, he even suggests that, like, no company in the history of wrestling seems to have done, like, a larger proportion of their pay per view buys on replay than TNA has done. So there's a lot of, like, strong word of mouth coming out of these shows driving buys and kind of the days after the show it's probably a lot of people who maybe didn't even know about tna but then have heard all the hype surrounding these big moments and are like well let's go give it a shot yeah and it, it is at the moment like it, i think that they're they're tone align but they're, they're doing i think a good job of balancing having the likes of styles and amw front and center while also having the likes of hall and nash and ddp and piper for a while and those kind of legacy stars who still have at least enough to add that they're productive parts of the show without the show being entirely about them i think they're having a really strong pay-per-view run but they need to have better impacts to pair with it well it's interesting you say that like the the numbers for impact are doing pretty darn good too uh, TNA Impact mm. on its premiere on Fridays, as we mentioned last month, it moved from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. So it did a 0.19 on the the 7th and 0.27 on the 14th of January, and that's above what they were doing. There's some shows later in the month that did some of their best numbers ever on television. Uh, so coming off of the pay per view, they did on the 21st they did a 0.32, and on the 22nd on the replay they did a 0.33 because we mentioned they have a, a midnight replay, I think it was as well. So it seems like the the numbers are very strong for impact at the moment they're on the up if this were a 2023 they'd be getting a billion dollars when the renewal came up yeah which i guess it, it kind of happened in 2005 mm. but we'll get to that later in the year so like 
it's funny. There, there's some hand wringing about Dusty this month. And when then you're like, well, the TV is doing close to record numbers, if not record numbers. Some of that is a better time slot, but listen, that's what they've given them under Dusty's regime. The pay-per-views are doing above average, and I think the most important thing is they're not trailing off in terms of numbers. Like, people expected the first one to do well. It did about 35,000. And then the second one also worked its way up to roughly 35,000 based on word of mouth. And Dave expects Final Resolution to get to roughly the same. So, like... Business is doing pretty well under Dusty. And then there's some like, is he doing a good job? It's like, well, he, he kind of is. <laughs> well, they don't seem to be scaring off anyone. Mm. They pe- The same amount of people seem to be coming in and then more people for TV. So I don't know. Perhaps it's just there's an element of I could be doing this better from certain people in the company who perhaps owned it at one point. Who were perhaps ousted from the book, but months ago... <laughs> Mm. maybe do you think there is a little bit of like i laid the ground it's not true but a little bit of in his mind i laid the groundwork and now he's like getting the fruits of my labor even though like the shows are just better like that that's also a thing like the pay-per-views are very good and there's a lot we like we were talking if you go and listen to us on patreon tnh.com listen to our end of year awards we worked out that there was like 400 matches (laughs) from tna in Mm. 2004 and like five of them were three and three quarter stars or higher it was not a good hit rate. We already have, I believe, more of in the year 2005 when we're still only in February. We almost had more of them on one pay-per-view. Yeah, there was probably more top-tier matches on Final Resolution than there was on the entirety of 2004 TNA. Yeah. I think part of it is that in wrestling, a lot of people just want to be the boss. Mm. And a lot of people want to have that responsibility. So no matter how well someone in that position is going to be doing it, there's always going to be like this inner working, backstabbing, I want to be the guy. I was about to say the words, I don't think we get that anymore. But then I look at the World Wrestling (laughs) Entertainment and there seems to be a very large incident of pretty much the exact same thing happening. Or the dude who was put in charge from the person ousted is doing as good if not better a job. And the person ousted is trying to get his way back in. Yeah, so I guess the only difference is that the ratings didn't go up. (laughs) Well, they kind of did for a while. Well, they yeah, but that wasn't so much the quality of show. That was, hey, wonder if things are going to change. And then you got Johnny Gargano for like two weeks. And then he was like off TV for like four weeks. And now he's injured. It's weird. I don't know what's happening in that company. I what I like I, I watched because I was I was going to clash at the castle anyway. And you watched it as a bit because you wanted you wanted to be the guy who was like, Oh, you know, I'm Paul Lid, baby, Triple H has saved the World Wrestling Federation. Things are great. I was doing the Paul Lid stuff as a bit, but like the main reason I was watching is because I was going to Clash at the Castle and there was like the actual intrigue of like, well, will it look different? And there's people who are like, it never looked different. It did. It was a little bit better, but not a lot better. Yeah, but it went from like a five to a six. Like I would say it went from a four to a six, which is the same place it was, but it was worse. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry for my ridiculous, insane statement. But I, I, I say that for a reason, though, because it, it like it, it was substantially better than it was. Like there was there was a noticeable improvement. Substantially is a hell of a word. Well, because it's as I said, we agree where it was. We agree it was both a six. I'm arguing it came from like a two or three rather than like a five. Okay, I'll I'll change my answer. It went from like a two to a five. <laughs> How dare you lower it to a five? So now I have to argue up to a six. <laughs> 
But like, it, it got better is my point. It did get better, and there's people who pretended it didn't. It got very slightly better. I was going to Clash of the Castle, so I was like, I, I should watch the TV. And it was like, it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> you were like, I'm going, I'm going to spend all this money to go to this show. I'm going to pretend that it's good so I don't feel like I've wasted my money. Yeah, and that show was pretty good. It did have Seamus and Gunther, which did make my match of the year ballot, so... I had my 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 man Solo Sakua debuting. So. Oh yeah, and I didn't I couldn't tell who he was. I was far too far away. <laughs> Where were you in in the in the building? Oh god, like like fucking! I paid far too much money for very bad seats. <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> they weren't very bad seats, but it's like you know, in an eighty thousand seat stadium, anything other than like five rows in, you're see you're basically watching screens and soaking in atmosphere. Did you pop big for the old Drew theme? Uh, yes, and like that match was really good live. I haven't watched it back, but like that crowd fucking desperately wanted Drew to win, so that did help. I I didn't love it, but I that's a, that's a me thing where I don't necessarily love the big WWE epic style. Mm. It just doesn't connect with me very much. You did have Sheamus and Gunther, which I said was match of the year level for me, and there was the lovely moment at the end where Sheamus got his little standing ovation, which is very nice. That was a great match. Um, I can't even remember what sent. Oh, Jarrett sent us off on Paul. <laughs> Yeah, but moral of the story: numbers are up. Pay-per-view's doing well. Impact's doing pretty well. The the new time slot's doing well, and the replay's doing well. And expanded distribution is coming to the European sports channel Eurosport, which is actually where I. That's you. Yeah, that's where I first watched New Japan. They had like some one-hour New Japan specials in like. 2009, 2010-ish, where I'd just watch random one-hour New Japan. And it used to be always on in a different time. It was one of those where it was like, I, I could never work out when it was on exactly, and I could never work out when I what I was seeing. I'd miss it for weeks, and I'd miss stories, but I would just watch random one-hour New Japan shows. I feel like Europe just like had a randomly easier time to getting to Japanese wrestling than most other places. Because we did have the wrestling channel during this period, which is where TNA is airing regularly. Uh, at this stage, which had, I don't know how much Japanese wrestling it had, but it had some. Didn't like ROH make its way to there? Yeah, it had a ton of US indie stuff. That's crazy. And then UK indie as well. I remember saying that there was a Johnny Storm AJ Styles match that they showed to death from some UK company. Really good match though. Yeah, well, we had WWE Afterburn. Oh, we had that too, but sure, thanks. So, oh, you can have it. That was, that was the only thing that made it to free TV in Australia. Mm. But Eurosport announced last Friday that they will air two total non-stop action specials. The first airs later this month and the second airs in March. The first one will run on February 25th, second on March 4th. Both shows will feature highlights of the last year and will run one hour. They should show highlights of this year. Last year wasn't very good. I was going to say, highlights of the last year. Was it going to be a 20-minute show? At this point, there are no contracts for future shows, but the TNA specials seem to be a test to see if fans in Europe are interested in TNA programming. If Eurosport decides to show more of the TNA programs, it would be a huge deal because the TV station can and be received in several European countries so millions of people would be able to see the shows. The wrestling channel in Great Britain is the only TV station in Europe that airs TNA otherwise. Uh, it's very funny that they're like, you know, to see if Europe will be interested in TNA wrestling programming and as we know from history, they will be. But not here, because I don't think they ever do a deal with Eurosport. Mm, but not with, yeah, not this exact thing, but you know what? Eventually, TNA will become very popular. To the extent that there was that time period where people were like, they should just move to England. And if they would have, it would have been like right before the indie boom. So it would have been like the perfect time to do it in the UK. Honestly, it may have worked. Um, That would be an interesting, maybe like one-off audio thing that we could do at some point. Just discussing the possibility of what what it could have looked like if TNA did that. But there is definitely 
like something to it of like what if TNA did move their operations there where they could draw bigger crowds that were more into it and a fresher product and the repercussions of like you know you're losing certain stars uh, some American guys that wouldn't want to come over for tapings and then people who can't come over for tapings and then as that evolves incorporating you know the 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 UK boom and bringing in all the talent from like that generation of people like an Osprey or something would have become someone who could have been picked up from the beginning and like like that it's such that was that's such an interesting alternative timeline that could be a fun uh, discussion point yeah when you look at like how close they came with like look at the people who were on british boot camp and there there are a ton of the people who were like the backbone of the indie boom including like the, the likes of Marty Skrull. And like, even when the, they came over in 2016, it's like they booked Osprey. They booked uh, Mark Andrews was obviously a British bootcamp winner who was a, a regular under contract. So there's like, a they, they say they came so close is what I'm saying. I wonder like how realistic that idea actually is mm. with a company that's completely based in another country. But you can't help but like wonder. Yeah, like, we, we won't get to them for a very long time, but you'll watch those. The first year they ran Impact from the UK is 2012, and, like, the scale and energy of those shows is so much bigger than anything they've ever done. So you're just like, ugh, there might have been something there. Or at the very least, but, like, at the same time, every year they came back, they did, like, slight, like, it wasn't dramatic drop in numbers, but the numbers were lower year on year on year on year to the extent that they, they obviously couldn't tour there anymore, that, like, when they were only drawing, like, 3,000 to the likes of the MEN Arena in Wembley. Because, like, I I went to the, the, the Wembley show that had 9,000 people there, the most attended show in TNA history. It's like, good God, this, like, this, this brand's hot here, like, legitimately hot. And you wonder, like, what they could have done if they had have moved TV tapings there and, like, if they could have kept that fan base or even grown it mm. from that point. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a world we can only but think about. See, I've, I've often mentioned on this show, if I had one superpower, it would be the ability to peer into alternate realities. Mm. Because I would, I would love to see what that looks like. You could have Team America as heels. Who <laughs> would be on your Team America? What year are we going with? It's probably just Planet Jarrett, isn't it? Um, well, it depends what year, right? Mm. It could be a Jarrettless year, so. I mean, Angle's the, 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 the leader, right? He'd have to be healed, though, and I, the UK always liked Angle. They, he, but, like, I, they liked him because they were seeing him, and mm. I feel like if they were doing, like, consistent tapings there for a year or something. They'd just go with the characters, yeah. Yeah, he, it would eventually turn into how the characters are pre- presented. They should bring Scott to, they should do team, like, North America. <laughs> Scott Demore, Bobby Roode, Kurt Angle, Eric Young. Yeah, that's that sounds great. Imagine like the hybrid tracksuits. Mm. Half of it's the Canadian flag and half of it's the American flag. I don't think anybody in America or Canada would be pleased with that situation. <laughs> guess what, Gary? We don't care about them anymore. We're in, we're in the UK, baby. Uh, on the topic of Canada, they also announced that they would be getting airing Fridays at 8.30pm Eastern Time in Canada on RDS starting February 4th. RDS is a 24-hour French-language all-sports cable network that broadcasts in Quebec. Is that their first Canada deal? They had some pay-per-view deals that aired like on delay and stuff, so it's not the first time they've been on Canada. It might be the first time they've been on TV in Canada, but I'm not sure. Which is, again, kind of a pivotal moment because we were just talking about, you know, how feasible would it be to move at a company to a completely different country. Yeah, there's, there's the 2017 move to Canada movement as well. <laughs> yeah, so 
<laughs> I guess in a way they did kind of do it. Yeah, the 20 just to a different place. The 2012 move to England movement and the 2017 move to Canada movement. Yeah. So on Dusty, there is a lot of internal debate regarding Dusty Rhodes. Jerry Jarrett, who pushed for Rhodes to get the book, has been raving about the job he's done, crediting him for the great pay-per-view shows and increased ratings. Others believe Rhodes has produced TV that doesn't insult anyone's intelligence and builds to the pay-per-view shows, but that Dutch Mantel's TV was doing the same thing. Okay, so the people believing that were Dutch and Jeff. Yeah, I was like... (laughs) I will say, like, I don't think their TV insulted your intelligence. It wasn't, like, illogical. No. It was just bad. Bore. It was just boring. It, it, it wasn't the case when we sit here, like, this made no sense. This didn't add up. Why did they do this? It's like, it, it was logical. You can give them that bit, I guess. But it's just not good. Yeah. Uh, the feeling is the two, the two great pay-per-views were not so much do- Rhodes' great matchmaking, since the last pay-per-view on paper didn't look really great. But so many of the wrestlers overachieve from what you'd expect. Perhaps Rhodes' football coach speech before the show helped out. He's he's been given mm-hmm. these big rah rah speeches before the pay per views, firing people up, which some of have have thought veered too much into like. Did you read the statement Eve Guimon put out this week? I don't know who that is. He's the president of Ubisoft or the head of Ubisoft. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know the guy now. I didn't read the statement, though. So they, the Ubisoft put out a statement this week where they were like, we cancelled three unannounced games, we're doing quite badly, oh, none of our games have been hit, blah de blah And then Eve's statement was basically like, the ball's in the court of the employees to turn this around. And I'm like, excuse me? Uh, okay. It's like, the shit show managed company and the ball's in the court of the employees? It's the employees that's letting the side down here. And there, there was apparently some of that kind of reaction to some of these dusty speeches. It's like, we've done all we can. Now you've got to do your side of it. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the speech must work. Ubisoft is up 1.32% on the stock. <laughs> Only after their stock dropped to, I think, 10-year lows? <laughs> oh. And like to, to be fair to Dusty's big speeches, you I, we, I think we mentioned last month. You watch these shows; they do not look like shows from people who don't care. They look like shows from people who do care a great deal, and people who are trying real hard. And there's a red hot crowds for these pay per views in particular, which I think is like the, the the biggest missed opportunity for the TVs because I think the crowds are also hot for the TVs. They're just watching like three minute squash matches over and over again. Whereas if you put some good stuff in front of them, you probably get some damn good TVs too. I mean, like, you, you put uh, Styles and Daniels in front of them and it brought up the match. Yeah, because they only had, like, a quick 10-minute TV match. It was, like, even more of a story match than anything else. But it was, like, a fun TV match. You, you really only need to give them one. Mm. Just give them one an episode. That's all it takes. If only you had some sort of division that you could focus on to give great TV matches that don't necessarily have to mean or take or lead to anything. Mm. Some sort of X factor in this division. <laughs> so like the argument against dusty is that the wrestlers are doing all the work and dusty doesn't deserve the credit to which i would say all these wrestlers were fucking here last year too that's kind of an asinine perspective because then you could do you say that about every great booker of all time who drew like money like millions of dollars because like they worked out how to utilize their talent (laughs) Like it's it's a give and take. It's a it's a you learn. It's finding people who have star potential and then also using them in ways that emphasizes that and leads to people wanting to pay money to see them. Yeah, because I think that, like the biggest promoter that people would point to that like made the most out of the least is maybe Paul Heyman. 
And even then, you look like he had Rob Van Damme, he had Sabu, he had Raven, he had Tommy Dreamer, Shane Douglas. He had people with a tons of talent. It's not like he was dealing with absolute shite. He did a great job with them, but it's not like, you know, he was going out there with the most wooden, bland, terrible wrestlers and turning into mega hits. It's like he was going out there with like diamond in the rough kind of oddball types, but people who had undeniable potential and talent. And that's always the case with pretty much any booker. Like, you know, Ghetto was booking with the the best generation of Japanese talent maybe ever. And do we take that away from him just because he had freaking Okada and Omega and Osprey and Naito? You can throw it around the other way completely and have like, you know, there's been eras of WWE that have had literally the most stacked pro wrestling roster of all time that have been, that have done shite. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it goes the other way. It's like, you can have the most stacked and in- incredibly in- talented pro wrestling roster with everything at your fingertips and the ability to grab anyone you want and still not put on a good show. Mm. Like, that, that, it's, that's the give and take, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and you know, you can even look at Gato too with like what we've been watching with 2012 and 2013. It's like, he has some of the best pro wrestlers of all time. But he also has a roster of 14 people yeah. <laughs> that he needs to use appropriately so that matches don't get burnt out and so that people are, are still interested in people like your Tanahashis and your Nakamura's and you use them in ways that don't kill that. Yeah, so give Dusty credit. Stop trying to take away just because you're perhaps petty and spiteful and want his job. <laughs> I do want his job, to be fair. In 2005? Yeah, I'll take it. But like, seriously, like the biggest argument against there is like, oh, it's only the wrestlers. It's like, all these wrestlers were here last year. All of them. <laughs> And other than like the, yeah. the some of the big stars who only came in toward the end of the year, it's like you have your AMWs there all year, you have your AJs there all year, you have your Sabins, you have your PDs, you have all these guys, you have your Hardys, all those people were here last year, and last year stunk. So unless you are literally AMW, AJ Styles, or Raven, you shouldn't be making this point. Mm. <laughs> there are still some hard feelings regarding Dusty Rose lying to everybody about Abyss when he made a surprise return at the pay-per-view, which I I do agree with. It's the classic work people for no reason. The goodwill Dusty lost by lying to everybody wasn't worth whatever he gained by nobody knowing Abyss was backstage at the show. We're supposed to be loyal to the company, but they lied to us about something that stupid and pointless. Don't work the boys and expect respect. Oh, oh, what a line. Can we put that... Can we underline? Can we bolden? Can we make that something that pro wrestling bookers in 2023 understand? (laughs) Don't work the boys and expect respect. Ugh. I want that tattooed on my body. <laughs> Especially for, like, the Abyss one was particularly stupid. Because they were like, he doesn't work here, he's not supposed to be here. And he was off TV for two weeks. Like, there's nobody who was watching this show week to week who was like, huh, where's Abyss? Like, uh, and it's not like it's fucking Jeff Hardy, you know what I mean? Mm. It's a guy who's been with you the whole time. It's like, ooh, but there was rumors he was leaving, and he's not. People in the dirt sheets were so surprised. The thing that I think ultimately ends up sinking Dusty more, Dusty also has two more ideas to create superstars. He wants to give Ryan Wilson the Goldberg push. Okay. A lot of people are against that one. With Hector Garza out of the picture, he also wants to bring in a, a, a shocker as the Latin star because he saw him in the McDonald's commercial and thought he had charisma. So Ryan Wilson is Triton. We've seen all those teasers this month for the debuting Triton. Uh, what a like the matrix was a mistake mm. <laughs> like it never should have existed it influenced media for far too long after it came out yeah we're in the, the period where if you look at all the right-wing grifters now their new favorite tri- thing is to say like the matrix is real and that there's this conspiracy against them <laughs> like how could you how could you watch this movie and and so thoroughly miss the point <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, you hear you hear see here Triton with his big like Morpheus glasses and jacket trying to be a Matrix character. And his ultimate warrior logo. Yeah, he does have an ultimate warrior logo. We'll be talking more about Triton next month when he actually debuts. It is ultimately like the the biggest, most thorough flop of Dusty's run. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't think we'll be talking too much about him. Uh, and yeah, Shocker's the other guy he wants to bring in after obviously Garz is out of the picture because of his legal issues. Which is such a fucking shame. Yeah, and as we mentioned, he doesn't work another show for like five years and obviously then passes away, so it is it is a shame. Um, Didn't Angel Gaza do a bunch of Impact stuff? Yeah, he worked for Impact for about a year in 2017. And he was quite good in Impact, wasn't he? He was better in WWE than he was in Impact. He's one of the rare people who actively got better there. He's one of those weird guys that like had his best run in WWE. We were reviewing it at the time. Yeah, he had those matches against Leo Rush and NXT, which were absolutely fantastic. Uh, which were the only, only things competing with Dynamite on an in-ring level at the time, too, it felt. Yeah, I think one of them won, like, Match of the Week. The prestigious Wednesday War Games Match Ooh. of the Week Award. Oh, my God. We need um Paul and Steph to st- split off their Splinter promotion and put it on Wednesdays. So we can bring back Wednesday War Games and put it behind the paywall i wonder out of the two of those who has like the better connections to getting financial backing it's probably stephanie right like yeah like you would have to have some sort of deal where it's like steph you can handle the business mm. and paul you handle the wrestling if only they did that with some other company um i don't know what you're talking about several tna people including jared styles abyss don west and jerry Warsh, were scheduled to tape an episode of wb's blue collar tv show on the 25th of january in atlanta funnily enough at center stage where impact just one ran hard to kill from in a sold out yeah, sold out sold out center stage i don't think they sold it out here there was only 300 people here so that's long-term growth a remarkable pro wrestling show garrett hard to kill that everyone should go watch yeah Go watch Josh Alexander and Bully Ray have a remarkably good match. I've definitely seen it. I'm not just echoing points to sell a show. <laughs> and great main event to the end of the the last rodeo. Mickey James winning the knockout title in one of probably the better stories in TNA history. Tremendous like four month story with the last rodeo, but we'll cover that in a long time. And a swerve paper, a swerve result at the end. That's that legitimately. That was like part of the fun. That like people, honest to God, thought she was retiring. And it's very rare in wrestling you get like a, a story, like an active wrestling story, to get people to believe something like that. And that's pretty darn cool. Hmm. You got worked by the story. Like it's not a giant swerve. It's not a backstage thing. It's just like the, the, a scenario concocted that uh, had doubt in a result. And that's that's awesome. It was traditional pro wrestling. Yeah, it's just wrestling storytelling done really well. Yeah. So that's fun and fair play. I uh, know Johnny's not working here anymore. <laughs> I'll have a note about him in a second. Uh, Jarrett was hospitalized after that taping of Blue Collar TV. <laughs> I just read the note. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, after he got a splinter in his eye. I'm surprised that hasn't happened more, either to him or the people he's hitting. Yeah, because it was from a guitar shot, Splinter went in his eye, should have used a cello. Uh, (laughs) Did you see that there was a debate over if it was a cello or a viola in our mentions? I did, and Don West told me it was the cello, and I believe Don West. Uh, I believe that the man who said it was a... I shouldn't say man, I don't know. Uh, The person who said it was a viola did backtrack and admit to it being a cello. Yeah, so don't you doubt D-Dub's knowledge of string instruments. Uh, I've never seen this episode of Blue Collar TV. I know it's a it's a sketch comedy show that had I think Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy are the two big names attached to it, which kind of doesn't make me want to watch this episode of Blue Collar TV. But 
no, that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, and I like sketch comedy, but no. If I can find it, we might do it for Patreon. If I can't, we won't. Mm, I don't think we will. You can do it for Patreon. Sure. If I can find it, I'll do it for Patreon. Very well good. Uh, the March 13th pay-per-view, both in Orlando, will be Destination X. And then uh, April 24th is the debuting Lockdown. TNA announced the names. Is this going to be a lockdown where every match is in the cage? Well, you'll have to wait and see. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dave had one of those Dave lines in the Observer. I know, you specified here that it was Dave. <laughs> Which he got absolutely... Like, if he did this in 2023, he'd get absolutely crucified for. <laughs> so Dave says yeah. in the Observer, April 24th is called Lockdown, which means Hall will probably headline. And I'm like, Dave! Dave! Like, the, da- the yeah. Dave that I wrote in the show notes is not, like, attributing it to Dave. It's like a an all-caps, Dave! <laughs> that's, um, that's a classic Dave right it there. Is. Dave loves to chuck. A bit of bit of humor into his stuff. Yeah, he he definitely has that kind of humor. It, He's also like an old man. <laughs> it, it, it's good, the kind of stuff like he doesn't do it anymore because he knows he'd get in trouble for doing it. He still does it a little bit nowadays. Yeah, he, he sneaks it in every now and again. He remember like he did it with the Saudi stuff when it first got announced, yeah, which was a, a, a sensational line from Dave. To be fair. God, I forgot what that was, but I remember that that, that was like a big thing for two days on Twitter. And you had the exact same Dave <laughs> reaction when you read yeah. it. <laughs> I remember that one was like, oh, Dave, you shouldn't say it. <laughs> mm. uh, Johnny Swagger became the first DNA wrestler in history to ask for his release and get it. He's going to attempt to hook up with Zero One Max before trying WWE. Fair enough. Johnny Fairplay from one Johnny to another got loaded and was thrown out of a Survivor reunion <laughs> party this past week. I think he's playing to the gimmick. Jeff Probst, who put the show together, said that Fairplay was a great villain on the show and worked well as a TV rival to Rupert, but said that after this, he never wants to see him again for the rest of his life. And then another Dave line. Uh, this is from Dave. He's probably not the, the only person with those feelings. There is like multiple stories this month that like apparently Dusty's a bit of a Fairplay guy, but everyone's sick of him, so he never comes back to TNA. And he's even like flirting with WWE. He wants to replace Teddy Long as general manager of SmackDown, and they're also like, eh, no thank you. Yeah. I don't even think he does much Survivor stuff. I think Jeff Probst really stuck to that. <laughs> well, because like, the only thing I saw him do afterwards was the... Fear Factor. Yeah, because I, I know, like, Survivor absolutely adores bringing people back. It's it's their favorite thing in the world to do, like, like all-star episodes and seasons bringing back contestants from prior years. I think the last season he did was 16, which was 2008. I, I don't know much about this kind of television. Mm-hmm. Is The Challenge just like a Survivor knockoff? I've never watched The Challenge, I couldn't tell you. Because, like, that's like a giant show now, right? I only know it because it used to kill AEW in the ratings. Yeah, it's a big MTV show. But I, th- I think that's more, like, real-world adjacent than Survivor-adjacent. Okay, it's Road Rules-adjacent, apparently. Okay. Which makes sense? I guess, well, he did do a season of Survivor after this, so I guess Jeff Robles didn't stay, entirely stick to never seeing him again. But he feels like the kind of guy who'd do, like, three or four... Like, there's some people who constantly come back on that show. They keep bringing them back. They love them. And Fairplay's apparently not Especially one of Especially if you're, like, someone who's associated with being, like, one of the biggest heels in the, the history of the show. Yeah, you would have thought they would have went for the nostalgia play. It's not like he's old. He's still, like, in his 40s, I think? Maybe 50s. The thir- <laughs> I was just finding out what season of the challenge Leo Rush did. Mm-hmm. 
And he was on the 36th season of the challenge. There's a lot of them. Like, Survivor does two a year as well, so, like, they're, they're up in their 40s at this stage. Yeah. Uh, breaking news, Gareth. Go for it. Better Call Saul has finally won some awards. I saw it. It's all the Critics' Choice Awards, is it? Yeah, him. Uh, Bob Odenkirk won Best Actor. Um, Giancarlo uh, won Best Supporting. And it won Best Drama. Mm. So... About goddamn time. The critics love it. Poor woman from Better Call Saul continues to not get anything. <laughs> I already re want to watch Better Call Saul. I still, I still, I, I started watching like three episodes last year because I watched two seasons of it. I was like, this is better than Breaking Bad and stopped watching because of course. <laughs> then last year, last year I watched another three, ep- I, I started again because I knew I'd forget everything. I watched three episodes and like, this is just better than every other TV show. It just is. It's just, it's just made better. So I'm a notorious binge watcher of shows, but I also get to the point where if it's long exposition on things I don't care about, I will start skipping ahead by like 10 seconds until shit gets going. Mm-hmm. That show i didn't do that once because it's just like it's just better like it really is and there's a lot of shows i like but you watch like a second of a vince gilligan tv show and you're like that's just better it's just better than other television it just is i there's uh, there's something to it which cannot be beaten i don't know what it is and like when i finished better call soul i i I went away from that show like oh that's the best show i've ever seen like it 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 wasn't even like a like a hard debate for me. I, I think I can put my finger on what it is. I think it's just like it's just sheer filmmaking. Yeah, it, that, it, it 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 is cinema that has been transitioned into television. Every frame of that show feels deliberate and feels thoughtful and feels like effort was put into it. Every single frame, every single frame of every single scene of every single shot in the entire six season or whatever run of the show feels like it has been handcrafted with intent. And you just do not get that in other shows. And it goes down to the writing too. Like everything feels purposeful. Everything builds to stuff and it doesn't feel rushed or ham-fisted. It feels earned. Mm. And like genuine uh, emotion... Uh, and uh, I guess genuine in in general, general is the is the emphasis of it too. Like everything feels like real people, like caricatures of real people at times, but real people as a core. Mm. It's a pretty. It's a it's a remarkable show. Now, from one pinnacle of television to another, <laughs> mm. let's talk about the month that is February two thousand five, building to against all odds, starting with the world title picture, building to the NWA World Championship match between Jeff Jarrett and Kevin Nash, which started last month. Like like the build to the the final resolution three way was mostly a Nash and Jarrett build as well, so they've been building to this one for a while. Yeah, they kind of done like a a pretty um interesting way of they built to a match over two months but had a different match in between mm. and uh, like it didn't necessarily feel like a divergence yeah monty should have won but that's either here nor there <laughs> now we're, we're, we've discussed that i think yep so january 21st impact opens with mike Janay and don west giving the hire itself a final resolution talking about how great the pay-per-view was which i do think they do better than most companies do like, the first impact after a pay-per-view, they cannot shut up about how good their pay-per-view was. Regardless, like, Final Resolution was a great show, so they deserve it there. But there's shows where they probably don't deserve it, or, like, you cannot believe how good this show this was, this show was. And that is probably, like, why they end up driving a decent amount of replays. Yeah, it probably helps. 
But they say they have big news. They throw to a press conference where it is announced that on February 13th, Kevin Nash will challenge Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. I love this press conference because Jarrett's like big, serious, I am a wrestler in a world championship press conference. And Kevin Nash is just goofing around with Scott Hall next to him. Yeah, I love that like the the only questions were like from TNA people. Well, there was like TNAWrestling.com and, and like Don West is like NWA TNA ESPN Radio. <laughs> and then DDP. There was a guy who pretended to be from USA Today, to be fair. How do you know he wasn't there for real? That's true. I think it was Bill Banks. Did, did they name themselves? Uh, Don West was NWA TNA ESPN Radio. I didn't write down the rest of the attributions. I know Bill Banks asked one of the questions though. And then DTP showed up. This is this is obviously fun. It doesn't it didn't delve too much into TNA comedy, which was disappointing mm. because that's the best thing this company does. But I, I would you know what, Garrett? I'm gonna sit here on this two thousand and five podium and I'm gonna say something good about Jeff Jarrett. Uh, was it about his lime green shirt and pink and black tie combination? It was not abomination. Who let him on television like that? Garrett I believe mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett when he says that this title means the world to him. Yeah, I yeah, I can't deny that. I like when he is, and he does. He did it here, and he does it in like the the like Mike Tonight interview where they're both on the like screens via satellite deal. I I believe this guy when he tells me how much this title means to him as and to be a world champion. I, I, I think that's one undeniable facet of Jeff Jarrett's character is where you he, you do believe that he thinks that this is a big deal and it helps bring up the the importance of the matches. And it probably goes back to like he does honestly believe that to the extent that he's always champion and has been champion for a very long time now, bar that brief interlude where mm. he wasn't champion. Like He does feel like that belt is a big deal. It's very important to him. He needs to hold it. The company needs him to hold it. So like there is a little art imitating life there that I think does help elevate the character a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, um, that's like the best part of this character is it does feel like a world champion who covets the title. And then there's a challenger here who doesn't seem to give a shit about it, but it kind of rocks in that way. Because it's that, especially when Jeff is going so hard on the side of, this title means so much to me, the prestige, and it makes me, and uh, it makes me be this world champion that I need to stand up and be this guy. And then Kevin Nash is just there like, yeah, I want more money, so I want to win the belt. Yeah, it is the perfect... And it's interesting, like, the, the passion that I love this belt, I need to keep it as the heel. And the dude is like, I just want more money as the baby face. Yeah, and that probably just comes more down to being Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, it's Jarrett and Nash's particular personalities that, that uh, I think define those babyface heel dynamics. But it is funny, it's like the passionate, usual babyface, like the like traditional Drew Galloway promo of like, I love wrestling, this means everything to me. And he's the heel, and Nash is just like, if I have the belt, that means I get paid more. Thumbs up. Mm. Yeah, because that was like the crux of this press conference where Jarrett was like, your movie's this career is a distraction, whereas I'm focusing entirely on this match. Uh, and Nash calls himself the greatest world champion of all time on wrestling technique alone. <laughs> uh, Don West asks about the, the height difference. Jarrett says they're all the same size in their back and Nash will be 12 inches at best. And then Nash quips, that'll be out of a cold lake. <laughs> when they do the like classic face off for photos Nash is like this is one of my two good sides <laughs> Nash is 
so effortlessly funny. He is, and like Jarrett's response to that is like, funny guy, funny guy. It's like, he is a funny guy, you're right. Yeah. Like, that wasn't even an insult. Jeff was just like, yeah, this guy. This guy indeed. And then they do the big pull apart because this is a press conference, of course. And then DDP says, haha, you're gay. <laughs> it's like, if you're the kings of wrestling, does that make Nash your queen? And he's like, ooh. And Jeff's like, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> So Dusty Rhodes went with Kevin Nash versus Jeff Jarrett because he believes in star power selling pay-per-views right now and he feels pressure from TNA's owners to deliver improved buy rates right away since they've heard enough talk about slow builds over the past two years. I mean, like, I feel like if you're in the business world and you hear slow build, you should be expecting like a five-year plan. But I guess you'd want to see forward momentum. But there is forward momentum. Only because they're paying for it. Yeah, but that is, isn't that how it works a little bit? Listen, I'm no businessman, but isn't that how it works? You know, you, you got to spend it to make it, that old thing. Yeah, but they spent two years losing it and then started trying to spend mm. it to make it. And I think at that stage, you're like, are we ever going to see money out of this thing? Yeah, but, you know, it is slowly moving in the right direction. Slowly but surely, under the, the steadfast leadership of the American dream. On the January 28th impact, there was a... a brawl that Nash just watched on. He was kind of involved in the, the Hall Team Canada stuff, but that kind of went nowhere. But the promo on the show, Mike Tanay introduces Jeff Jarrett. This is Jeff Jarrett's first time in front of a live crowd since he beat Monty Brown. And this crowd wants absolutely fucking nothing to do with him. They want to remind him of that fact. They chant, you screwed Monty. They drown him out with boring chants multiple times. They go to the extent of chanting, get your hat, get your coat and leave at him. Like that, is that like, that has to be like a sports reference or something, right? There's no way they came up with that on the spot. Uh, Surely it is. But like, I think in wrestling, we talk a lot about the idea of go away heat, of X-Pac heat. This is literal go away heat. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time it's just like, I don't like a guy, so I'm going to pretend he is go away heat. Whereas here it is very much that audience in the impact zone. The first time Jeff Jarrett comes out to do his same old promo after he beats Monty Brown, that crowd want nothing to do with him. They don't want him to be there. Yeah. They don't want to watch him. They don't care about what he's saying. They don't care about his building for the match against Nash. They don't care about him talking about Nash's knees and all that. They just want him to leave because they wanted Monty to win and Jarrett retained. And it's not the good kind of heat. It's not the kind of heat that makes people want to see Jarrett lose more. It is the kind of heat that like, we are done with you. I think it could be that kind of heat if the next match was Monty. <laughs> <laughs> if the build was to Monty eventually beating him, yes. But um, it is not. I don't know, like, since they're already planning to, like, take the belt off of him at this point, like, in the upcoming months, I don't know how, like, you don't see this and go, oh, it should be Monty who does that. <laughs> we will talk more about that in the Destination X episode, friend. <laughs> See, this is what we call a teaser in the biz. And there has been some Jeff Jarrett discourse recently because Mm. he has been objectively a very entertaining part of AEW television. Garrett, we have have broken the formula. We know how it works. Garrett, who is Jeff Jarrett's father? His father is Jerry. Which makes him a son (gasps) of a pro wrestler. And as we know, the best way to get the son of a pro wrestler over 
is to make them a giant goofball. Mm-hmm. And what has AEW done? What have they done, Liam? They've made him a giant goofball and it works. The formula is there, it is concrete, it works every time. And you're even seeing it on WWE television with Big Dom Mysterio now. Exactly, Garrett. Exactly, goddamn you. He's thoroughly leading into the idea of just being a buffoon and he is ten times more enjoyable than trying to be a serious good pro wrestler. And like, that is that is the pro- my problem with the Jeff Jarrett discourse is some people were trying to retroactively say he has always been good. Which he has always been a good performer. You can never take that away from Jeff. He's always been a yeah. good professional wrestling performer. I think the general understanding that he's always been overpushed for his position. Because yeah. if he was always a mid-card guy, he would have excelled as a really excellent mid-card guy. He has never been a main eventer. He has never been a world champion. Even in TNA, where he's like the only option, he'd be like, you fucked over Raven, you fucked over Monty. There's two other people like that should have won the belt from him, even at this stage in TNA history. So he's not like, he's not even, you can't even make the argument he's the only guy. It's like there's two guys who should have beaten him at this stage already. Like he, he And mm. WCW, he obviously was never a top guy. And he's just, it's not in his DNA. He's not a top guy. He's the Brian Lawler. He should be the Brian Lawler. <laughs> I think... This is my theory about it, is that through osmosis, second generation wrestlers understand an element of the biz and that's showing ass, Mm. but then they get put in positions of being like Randy Orton. Yeah. And if you're not exactly Randy Orton, it doesn't necessarily work, but you have enough of an intrinsic knowledge of the pro wrestling business that you can understand how to be a goofball heel. And you, you see it so often. We talked about Dom. We talked about Eric Watts. We talked about, like, David Flair in WCW. Like, unbearable when he was trying to be... They didn't really push him ever. But when he was, like, a serious part of storylines, everyone was like, no, thank you. And when he was, like, a wacky side character with Daphne and Crowbar, everyone was like, yeah, he's harmlessly fine. Brian Lawler here, David Flair here, Eric Watts here, Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) Yeah, even Jeff Jarrett in TNA was always at his most entertaining when he was just doing like the double J, double MMA stuff, when he was just being a goofball. (laughs) And when we talked about him as like, because like Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett was him like being serious, but he was also being a big goof while he was doing Mm. it. And that was his best TNA stuff up until this point. Yeah, there, there has been multiple people trying to make some bizarre argument that Jeff Jarrett being bad is some concoction of WWE documentaries. And pal, watch this episode of Impact on January 28th, 2005, where you will see th- th- people rejecting Jeff Jarrett as a headline important part of the show is not just a, a creation of the world wrestling entertainment. So... Unless you have, like, the intrinsic star potential of a Randy Orton or a Charlotte mm. Flair, just be a big dumb goofball because it's in your blood and you'll get it. I, I really can't think of another instance of the crowd, like, breaking the fourth wall themselves to be like, fuck off, just get out. <laughs> like, we don't want to see you. Like, there, there is some, like, booze rejection, but actively, like, just leave. Just leave. We don't want to watch you right now. <laughs> The only ones that, like, it happens with, I feel, like, it happens in this company a lot. We'll see it more with, like, the Russo stuff. Oh, yes, they do chant fire the booker at the on the television shows. I'll give you that one. Yeah, this company has it a lot. And, like, like the only other time, like, which is even close, but it is, like, it's it's the same amount of vitriol, but uh, positioned in another way is the Roman Rumble, like, mm. win, where people just left. Yeah, the, the other one that came to mind was Jeff Hardy, Ring of Honor. Yes, like they, they, these are, the, and that one was I don't that one's 
it feels a little less because that wasn't like a booking thing more so than it was just we don't want to see this person. Yeah. But also that show did really well drawing wise. So mm, cry about <laughs> Jeff's it. Jeff's a star. So there you go. Yeah, we're going to see it a lot more in the upcoming years on this show, at least. Mm. And for some reason, they never listen to them. Why don't you listen to your... Your audience are literally telling you what you want. Like, where else in the world, in entertainment, will you get your audience literally right there in front of you, tell you what they want, and you're like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, UFC. <laughs> uh, well, that's not a real company that we respect. Yeah, it's not a real sport. This promo, for as much as Jared could get out, they constantly interrupted him. He did, to his credit, at least try and play into it. Like, he responded to the crowd a couple times, but that completely threw his promo off. He was doing the same old, like, I love the title, you suck. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ask your knees are bad. He did threaten Mike Tanay, though, which brought back the, the 2003 babyface Mike Tanay story. So, there you go. <laughs> you said, there you go, as if that wasn't a thing for you. Uh, I think you are very happy about that, too. You were like, babyface Mike Tanay, they should do the match. <laughs> they should do the match. It'd be very Never funny. mind Monty. Tanay should win the belt. You, I think you, I feel like you would unironically love that. You know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> February 4th, the best segment in the entire build, maybe the history of TNA. <laughs> So Mike today is telling us on commentary the whole month that Kevin Nash has never taken a match more seriously. <laughs> that he's like working out, he's doing all this exercise. Nash talks about how he does like high intensity interval training later in the month. <laughs> so Franchise is sitting with Kevin Nash who is getting a massage. He's wearing a towel, he's getting a massage. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett mm -hmm. sneaks in with a guitar Kevin Nash has, like, some kind of sixth sense Jeff Jarrett vision, rolls out of the way, and avoids an attempted guitar shot to his ass while lying on a massage table. Garrett, he knew that he was coming up because the masseuse walked away. Yeah, and to be fair, Franchise started, like, trailing off in a sentence as well, so that's how he knew something was going down. But this, like, that was the segment. Franchise was like, you're going yeah. into this match, blah de blah de blah Jarrett walks in, swings a guitar, Nash moves, Nash... Nash's towel falls down. He is thankfully wearing underwear. Uh, yeah, actually, not thankfully. See Nash in the nude. Yeah. Kevin nude. Yeah, and then that, like, that's the segment. <laughs> this is the best pro wrestling world title build I've ever seen in my life. And then this show ends with Kevin Nash still wearing a towel, walking in slow motion into Jeff Jarrett's locker room, and then the show goes off the air. And of course, I can't wait to find out what that was about. We'd never do. <laughs> 
<laughs> that that massage segment because like it's it's a 30 second segment where franchise is like you have a world title match coming up Jarrett swings the guitar at his ass misses and they nash in his underwear stares him down it's 30 seconds it's the only like meaningful build for like two weeks and it's so good <laughs> and then last show they've been both banned from the building for the final episode of impact they're they're in separate places nash is in hollywood Jarrett's in nashville because of their whatever went down in Jared's locker room, I guess. They never do explain it. I like to imagine he just sat on the guitar and broke mm. it. He's like, you're going to try to attack my ass with your guitar? Well, I'll attack your guitar with my ass. <laughs> Listen, ass-based offense doesn't come until the end of the month. Oh, to, if Kevin Nash started doing Taguchi spots... I was talking about Billy Gunn, but sure. <laughs> I know, I'm saying even better. So they do have a, a sit-down interview, Mike Tanae sitting in the empty impact zone with both Nash and Jarrett on a monitor and they hit more or less the same beats they've hit the whole time as they, they build it up my favourite one is Nash being like I'm going to take it up five or six notches from where I've ever been and I'm going to bring the belt home as a Valentine's gift for my wife she loves gold and Tanae's like you got to focus on his knees and Jarrett's like I'm not giving away my strategy mm. and that's it that's the build to Jeff Jarrett versus Kevin Nash for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship February 13th, the main event of Against All Odds, in a match Liam adored. It is rocked. I love it. It's a, In the same way that I loved the Raven-Jeff Jarrett match, I love this match. I, I'm kind of a sucker for, like, big overbooked messes where there's a thousand run-ins and there's referee bumps and there's chair shots and there's guitar shots and weapons and people debuting and re and uh returning i just i love it i think that's i think it's fun pro wrestling spectacle yeah, there are people when they see interference or quote-unquote overbooking in wrestling they immediately consider the match worse i like interference i've i've stood atop this hill hill before I am a man who enjoys interference in pro wrestling. Yeah, an instinct I somewhat appreciate, especially when you watch like '90s wrestling, where it's just it's it's unbearable the amount they do that, and you just never get any of the good wrestling because they constantly do the interference and the bullshit and the ref bumps and all that. So I, I understand like yeah. the fatigue when it comes to it, but like I would always ask myself a couple questions. It's like, does it make sense for the story they're telling? What are my expectations for the match? Because for Jarrett and Nash, I, I don't expect a wrestling match. Yeah. If it's Okada and Osprey. Yeah, I, I was going to make the exact example, not Okada, but the Osprey Omega match. If that match on January 4th mm. was filled to the brim with ref bumps and interference, I'd be like, nobody wants this. I don't want this. This is not what I want out of a, a Will Osprey versus Kenny Omega wrestling match. Whereas you sit down and you watch Jeff Jarrett versus Kevin Nash and you're like, what are you going to do? Fucking figure fours and arm locks? Like, of course it's plunder and, and, and ref bumps. It was a similar thing happened actually this weekend at Hard to Kill. I saw some of the reviews of the Josh Alexander Bully Ray match, which had like the, the, the good hands run in. It had Tommy Dreamer run in. It had Josh's wife run in low blow bully and hit with a Dudley dog. It had like all of like the story elements of the story brought in for like this big dramatic showdown with the big evil bully being conquered. And there's some people who's like saw that overbooking and they were like, no, overbooking. It's like, what do you want out of a Bully Ray match? <laughs> like, overbooking isn't inherently bad. It's not. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situation. As I said, if you went into the Styles and Daniels match on this same show and you did all that bullshit, I'd be like, what, what the fuck are you doing? 
Why are you doing this in this match? Yeah. Stupid, dumb, go away, bad booking. Whereas here, it's Jarrett and Nash. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So the story running through the show is that Dusty Rhodes has banned the guitar. Jarrett can't use it. Similar story to the Ron Killings one last year, where if he uses it, he will be stripped of the title, no matter what, whether the referee sees it, whether or not, any of that. If he uses a guitar, he will be stripped of the title. They love their show-running angles on these pay-per-views, so they, they do another one here, where Jarrett has his attorney dagger trying to overturn the ban, trying to threaten Dusty illegally, all that stuff. None of it happens. So you get to the match itself, where to circumvent the guitar ban... Jeff Jarrett pulls a cello from under the ring. <laughs> it's so good. I that this is this is pro wrestling, baby. Like, see, Jarrett gets it. Just be a goof. This is a goof thing to do. It is amplified by the fact that he tries to hold the the cello the same way he holds the guitar by like the top of the guitar, or the top of the cello. I don't know the words. And then it it the, the neck. neck, I suppose. Yeah, and it, it breaks in the middle and falls to the floor. Ah. <laughs> uh. And then he just whomps him with it. I'm glad he, like, didn't give up. Yeah, and he starts attacking the knees with the cello, and he has this big-ass cello case that he pulled it out of that he also starts attacking the knees of Kevin Nash with. We get the tremendous moment of he doesn't actually hit Nash with the cello. It turns out Nash jackknifes him on the cello. Awesome. They do the classic walk and brawl to start the match, including my favorite moment where they go backstage and uh, Nash Irish whips... Jared into the catering table and Jared completely flips the table and Don West is just fucking outraged. <laughs> he's like, what am I supposed to eat? Now? Yeah, he's like, I was gonna use that for supper. <laughs> <laughs> Supper's the best word to describe it. It too. is. It's the fact that they use supper that really popped me. <laughs> so after all the cello business, we get the run-ins and interference. We have the debuting no-named man. You know his name. Yeah, he, no introduction is needed. Not Nine Inch Nails. No introduction needed. It was totally a Nine Inch Nails show. This is the debuting Billy Gunn, who does not currently have a name, and will go through quite an ordeal of getting a name, but it ends up being Kip James, so we'll just call him Kip James. Kip James makes his debut. He waffles Nash with a chair. Nash kicks out. Sean Waltman runs out. He hits at a Jarrett with a spin kick. He hits him with the Bronco Buster. This is return, by the way. Sean Waltman's not on the roster. This is his first appearance since 2002. Or 2003, he did that one tag match. Uh, and then he hits mm. the X-Factor and Jarrett kicks out. Uh, they do a bunch of other nonsense. Uh, Kip James comes back. He tries to hit Nash with the, the NWA title, but BG shows up, pulls the NWA title <gasps> out of Kip's hands. These are the former members of DX, as Mike Denae tells us multiple times. I, I wasn't aware, so I'm glad he mentioned it. So Jared hits Nash with the belt. Nash kicks out. Jared hits the stroke. Nash kicks out again. My favorite one is the, the X-Factor one, where there's also a near fall that Jared kicks out of. And if you look at the crowd, there's so many in the crowd who are like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that he keeps kicking out and then Jared hit a low blow and another stroke to finally get the pin retain the NWA title and Liam's favorite match on the show this match rocked I loved it four and a quarter yeah this this is one of those I went three and a half I wouldn't go I wouldn't go north to four but it is one of those where it's like I have no problem with the nonsense in this match like this this match would have been worse without it what are you gonna get between Jarrett and Nash in 2005 yeah exactly like this is the best case scenario Ugh, absolute chaos. Absolute utter TNA chaos. 
Waltman was said to be excited about TNA and said he wanted to work TNA but not indies. Billy Gunn was also said to be motivated and excited about this chance to make something of his career after several derailments in WWE. He's hungry to succeed, says a source. We'll see how that turns out for both of them. <laughs> if you remember, the Jeff Hardy is excited to work for TNA. That didn't last very long. Yeah. Uh, Waltman had his back injured two nights earlier in Tijuana, taking a bump into that hard ring in his first match in months. He was hurting bad to the point that they didn't know whether or not he'd be able to perform on the show, and he was even in a wheelchair the morning of the show. Uh, he looked pretty darn good when he was out there, though. Yeah, he um he managed to turn it on, and the adrenaline was pumping. He came out dressed like he was straight off the set of... Uh... Wrestling Society X. See, you, can, you just can't remember the name of anything related to that show. I remembered our show's name, but I couldn't. I was like, well, it's not it's not Review It For Her. Right off the set of Review It For Her, sitting in on our podcast recording. Yeah, we, uh, what's his podcast? It was like 1, 2, 360 or something. Like, I've never listened to it, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, uh, it has the the all-time great podcast quote with the, with Denise, where, where she's asking him, oh, how, how did you feel about working in... Um, TNA, it's like I came in doing tag stuff. I'm like, did you want to go to the X Division straight away? And he just goes with like, well, I was heavily on Crystal Meth at the time. Yeah, I saw that doing the rounds this week. And she just and she just goes, well, <laughs> <laughs> and that was like early Denise in wrestling as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was like she like on. I read and watched that podcast because mm. um, it's a podcast about his TNA run, and um, I went and watched it. And at the start. Yeah, you'll never believe what she says. She goes, oh, I'm just about to start my first uh, my first show on Fightful. Oh, good for her. And I was like, ah, oh, that's that's the beginning of where she, she begins to break out into the, the wider wrestling knowledge. Did you learn anything from that Sean Waltman interview? Um, he was heavily uh, getting on the crystal meth at the time. Yeah, but maybe about this DNA run? Um, that he said Jerry contacted him in 2003 in January mm. about coming into TNA and that he felt he, he he felt good that um that he was even thought of for something like that but that he was they were doing the NWO thing and unless they were going to be able to offer him a ton of money he 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 just couldn't see not doing the NWO thing at that time yeah you take that money while you can get it and then um after that that's when he he's like yeah let's give it a shot and then he burned the bridge and there was burned the bridge again. And <laughs> we will talk about him burning the bridge another time in 2005. Mm. But we will enjoy him while he's here because I actually think he secretly has a, a kick-ass run this time. I'm looking forward to it. I've always liked Sean Walton. Well, that's always the thing. He's always been a fantastic pro wrestler. Did you remember when there was a ton of like hype over the Generico stuff in Chicago? Yeah, I watched that match. That match is great. When um, And then like I saw someone the other day that was like, he was like only 48 or something when that match happened <laughs> no he would have been like 38 right was he was it 38 it might have been 38 sorry yeah it was 38 i got my my years mixed up because i was head. thinking he's not even 50 yet which is insane yeah yeah like he was only like 38 and i was and then like now. in my head i did the math i was like oh when he did this when he did that match uh with generico he was like the same age Omega is now. Yeah. <laughs> and people were like, wow, look at this old guy coming in having this excellent <laughs> match. What 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 sorcery has happened? Yeah, that was always the thing with him. And that like, obviously the, the road has owned that man more than it's road owned a lot of men. And he always looked a lot older than he actually was. And always, obviously he never like had a, a sustained string of performances that matched his talent, I don't think. Like he, he'll have a mm. run here in, in 2005 TNA that I think we'll both enjoy. And then he had just some sporadic, occasionally popping up and doing stuff matches. But it like 
when you watch his early stuff, like you watch those early matches against Jerry Lynn, which is very much X Division before it was X Division, very much even like WCW Cruiserweight Division before there was a WCW Cruiserweight Division. Like those matches are fantastic. He watches 95-ish stuff where he's 1-2-3 kid having like competitive television matches. Those matches are fantastic. The dude's a tremendous pro wrestler. But obviously, uh, a lot like Hall we talked about earlier, uh, a man who who had his demons very much through his career that prevented him from reaching at least the peak he could as a worker, never mind as a star. Yeah, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing some more X-Pac stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, very fun. So that brings us over to, let's go Monty, Brown, and DDP, because there's not too much there. It's mostly a bunch of... Uh, TV squashes leading to a pay-per-view tag match that ends up not being the pay-per-view tag match that they thought it would be. <laughs> hmm. So Monty's not on the first impact of the month. He's, he's given a week off, I guess, after his defeat to Jeff Jarrett. Maybe they, they were worried. He, maybe they were worried about the response. Maybe they were. <laughs> that people might like him too much. <laughs> DDP was involved in the, the press conference. So then January 28th impact, Monty Brown does a squash match against Johnny Devine that I... That you think is the greatest match of all time. I absolutely adored. Because it's it's like, it's two minutes long. And he's just absolutely fucking up Team Canada. And like, when he came out, there was like a little wave of sadness. I'm like, oh, it's Monty. After he lost, I'm sad. You went, ooh, ah, ah, Yeah, I was like, ooh, ah, ah. As solemnly as I can say, ooh, ah, ah. I said, ooh, ah, ah. He's doing the squash match against Johnny Devine. And Team Canada just tried to interfere and he just absolutely destroys them. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> PD tries to interfere. He tries to hit a crossbody off the top. So Monty press slams him out of the ring onto Rude. He then pounces Eric Young out of the ring and then throws Johnny Devine into the corner, hits the ropes, pounces that man out of his boots too. And I'm just sitting watching this match as the crowd, even after he lost to Jarrett, are still going nuts for the alpha male. Are like how how can you look at this and not think that he's the guy i just don't understand it i really don't know how you could work yourself into a shoot to think this man is not ready in any way like like he's killing these dudes it absolutely rocks the crowd are losing their mind and like they're just nah nah he's not the guy this is about as good of a bounce back from a pay-per-view loss as you can book. Yeah, because he just kills Team Canada by himself. And like Team Canada just lost a bunch of matches. So you're like they're not really losing anything. You can kind of have Monty kill them here for the sake of Monty's credibility more than Team Canada. And like the the kind of the the brilliance of Team Canada as a group is that you could basically beat them like a drum and they'll be fine. Yeah, they the, the, have that like diverse ability to both be like an immeasurable threat at times, but also be big goofs that get beaten mm-hmm. up. And Monty, he, Monty just looked like the biggest star in the world. Like, he hit those back-to-back pounces. One on Eric Young, which sent Eric flying, flying out of the ring. And the one on Divine, where he literally just picked Divine up, threw him into the corner, and as he rebounded, he got pounced. And I was like, oh, he's the best. How do you not put the belt on this man? Uh, after the match, Monty stares down Demore, but then Scott Hall jumps him. Then Team Canada and Hall get the better of Monty as Nash watches on from ringside. This is the last Nash would be involved in this feud, so maybe they were thinking of going somewhere with this, but DDP made the save to set up the pay-per-view match, which would be DDP and Monty against Hall and Rude. Mm-hmm. There's then not a ton of other build to that match. The main event of the February 4th episode is Monty and DDP against the Naturals. Just trying to show them how they work as a team. They are a very good team solely because Monty hits a pounce and DDP hits a diamond cutter and that's cool. Yeah, it makes them both look fucking awesome. It's just the classic 
two guys who have cool finishers hit their cool finishers, and it is fun. <laughs> and um, kind of like the opposite to the Team Canada, I feel bad for the Naturals when they're in a position like this. Yeah, because the Naturals are just sinking and sinking and sinking, aren't they? Yeah, it's from going from like top contenders, champions, having like pretty great matches to just like they've become the default like enhancement tag team now mm, where you need to establish monty and ddp so like it wasn't a squash to be fair they set the 15 minute time limit and i think they worked a decent amount of it it wasn't a short match at least that's at least the kind of small benefit you can give the naturals because you i, I wouldn't be surprised if they just had monty and ddp run through them because this is actually ddp's impact debut now i think about it so maybe that's the reason they thought let's give them an extra little bit of time yeah this is his first time wrestling on impact so yeah, but the DDP, Monty, good good tag team. Very good tag team. Monty hit the pounce on Stevens. DVP hit the diamond cutter on Douglas. It's good pro wrestling. Uh, Sid Haig was at Impact, apparently. Mike Tanay tells us. Star of some Rob Zombie movie at the time, apparently. Ah, uh, uh, this is Devil's Reject, I believe. Yeah, he wasn't shown on camera or anything. Uh, Devil's Rejects, fun movie. I believe that's when the DDP's in. Yeah, I think that was the time that a bunch of the, the co-stars, and I think... Did they mention Rob Zombie was there? There was at least some co-stars other than Sid Haig there. I wasn't paying enough attention. If Rob Zombie was there, I, I could not imagine him not being involved. Yeah, get him on camera with Abyss. As as he has, like, had some history in pro wrestling with ECW and mm. such. I like Devil's Rejects. It's, like... It's... It's a Rob Zombie horror film. Mm. <laughs> which leaves it to a certain, like, stylings. Very visually distinct. Um very graphic and a little what's the word i'm looking for here <sighs> not bad faith that doesn't feel right like cynical a little mean uh. mean spirited where it's like a lot of a lot of things like you like that happen you're watching and you're going like you know how there's sometimes in movies where there'll be a character that you're rooting for and you feel like the movie is going over the top with the the perils that they're putting in that character's way mm. and it's then it stops becoming like a thing for the hero to overcome and just starts to feel mean yeah and it's like a, a bit of a hard disconnect to have um there's a bit of that in the devil's reject and also like in the whole trilogy this is what people came here for they came for my my breakdown of the rob zombie <laughs> devil's rejects trilogy we've already done better call Saul, so you might as well yeah it um i feel like well, like at the beginning of of that run of movies, all the characters are objectively bad, and then by the end of it, they kind of framed as antiheroes. But they've done such horrific, horrible things throughout that trilogy of movies that even framing them somewhat as an antihero feels disrespectful. Feels disrespectful in general, and feels mean spirited. So, like, even any sort of justification for these characters or making them exceedingly likable by making them comedic or giving or framing them like these outlaw rebels it it, it i don't think it works necessarily hmm. feels unearned because that because that, that, uh, not so much unearned or like just I, I i don't see how it could be earned in the first mm. place like i i don't see how there's movement with what these characters have done and the crimes they've committed to make them likable in any way i don't feel like that's a a responsible thing to do even that's my like i think uh, again like all all those movies are incredibly stylistic and visually appealing and uh, like from that aspect of watching a a movie like that i think breaks through and they're definitely interesting but yeah that's my main problem with is like the 
they make the, the the villains are the protagonists and they make them too cool quotation marks for it to really work. Didn't think I'd get five minutes on Devil Rejects. Brentioning said, hey. This is why I'm here. February 11th Impact, DDP faced Chris Candido in a match that disappointed me because it was pretty much entirely a squash. And I was like, they'd probably have a nice little match if they had a nice little match. That being said, it is cool to see DDP and Chris Candido in the ring together. Yeah, I've, like, DDP's not doing anything particularly special. Like, it's not like any of his matches are like, oh, I love this DDP match. But he's just, like, a nice welcome presence on the show. And same for Candido, who's just great. Well, we were talking about how, like, having a DDP on this show is a lot like having a Dustin mm-hmm. Rhodes. Just having them in the mid-card is enough. Yeah, and DDP's just, like, a good vibes kind of guy. Yeah, he's a he's a good vibes pro wrestler. It's just like even when he's not like knocking the doors off, it's like he's hitting diamond cutters. He comes out to his cool knockoff theme song. I'm happy. Um, someone said that this was like the theme that almost got TNA sued. Well, it is like the like WCW did a smells like Teen Spirit knockoff. That's like eighty percent of the way there, and TNA is like, what if we went the rest of the way there? <laughs> yeah, uh, he does. He does get pyro for the first time when he comes out in this match, which has been missing when he's doing the bang during his entrance, and there's no pyro. It just feels a little wrong. Do you think he fought for it? He's like, I need pyro. And it's not, it's not like elaborate pyro. I think he gets better pyro a little later in the year, but it, it's its very much just like the shoot off one little bit. So there's the little noise. You just, Pew. you just need the little pop when he does the bang, you know? Yeah. It's kind of crazy that for like a few years there, pyro was just kind of gone from mainstream pro wrestling for a That's while. That's because WWE were a cheap ass, terrible company. Ah. That was it. They're just they're too cheap for pyro. And then they brought it back because it, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And it's one of those things, it's like wrestling fans associate it so much with wrestling, like like from the Attitude Era, elaborate pyro, and you get it at WrestleMania all the time, like they never got rid of it at WrestleMania when they would sell, like set off the most insane fireworks show above the, the arena you'll ever see in your life. But it's just like, it's a thing that people expect as part of the spectacle of pro wrestling, so I don't think a, a big budget company can leave it behind. Mm. Also, it's just cool. <laughs> it's also that. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. <sighs> I like pyro and pro wrestling. Are you going to give an anti-pyro statement? Uh, slightly. It is a little trashy. Mm-hmm. It does kind of feel like an Attitude Era holdover. I, I'm, not ag- I'm not against it in any way. I'm just like, there is a certain level of it. And maybe it's like when it's done right versus when it's like just a pew. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Where it does kind of feel like 90s holdover stuff. But at the same time... Think about AJ Styles' get ready to fly entrance. Yes. That's good pyro. <laughs> sure, you've, you've convinced me. Because yeah, you are right that there's somewhere it's just like you set up pyro for the sake of pyro. Or then you think about like the Christian reigning goltage or the Goldberg walking through pyro or like the Dudley boys where the pyro shoots through the building for the work coming down. It's like that kind of pyro that almost amplifies the character a little bit. Cool stuff. Yeah. Or like to be like you might think the Roman Reigns punched the ring and then the Fyro sets off around the stadium is a little cheesy, but it's fucking cool. <laughs> Where he does mm. his taunt, he punches the ring, and then they set off every firework in the history of existence above the stadium. <laughs> uh, DDP crotched Candido on the top. He hit a diamond cutter out of the corner for the win. Demore comes out and says it'll be a different story against all odds. Rude will fight anytime. DDP says don't have Hall here, but I'll give his old catchphrase. Don't sing it. Bring it. All Team Canada come out. Monty makes the save as Team Canada backs off. They still bill Scott Hall for the match all the way up until the pay-per-view. Like This is already after he had the incident in Korea where they probably know he's not going to be there. But they still bill him for the match until right up until basically the Team Canada entrance, I think. Mm. They're promising Mercedes Monet. 
from PW Torch. Chris Candido has been a valuable ad added veteran presence in the locker room, not causing any problems and providing TNA with a good hand in the ring and an experienced voice backstage. Yeah, um, I, I feel like that's the thing you always hear about Candido is that he offer that he's always a good veteran voice to mm. have. Like yeah, yeah, I've you hear about like basically any wrestler that had the seems to be the pleasure of working with him has come away with that like he helped me get better just from talking to yeah, him. Yeah, or working with him. Or watch the great have you ever seen the great Kali Candido match in Japan? Um, yes, but a long, long time ago. Where now. no man has ever made Kali look like the best wrestler in the world more than Chris Candido did. Yeah. Candido, huh? It's kind of a name uh, like one of those super valuable names that has lost been lost a little bit. Yeah, and like the 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 tragic thing is, like at, at this stage in TNA, he's just a complete jobber. You know, they're not doing anything with him. Mm. They just start doing stuff with him uh, as he passes away, which is always like the worst. It's like oh, because again, you, you would think yeah. as you go into different eras of TNA, you might get that that chance of a Candido career renaissance on a different stage, and it was taken away too soon. Mm. Against all odds, Monty Brown and DDP defeated Team Canada. If you go back and listen to the Monty Brown and DDP versus the Naturals thoughts, exact same match. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really just the finish here. That is the thing that matters. You get the heat, come back, Monty pounces rude, DDP diamond cutters EY out of the corner. It is cool when those two men hit their cool moves. And that's it. That's the takeaway from this match. Yep. Full metal mayhem. That brings us to the final... Uh, final resolution. To the, Finally, we're getting to the period <laughs> in TNA history that we all love and know and love. Jeff Hardy and Abyss Plunder. The savior of this Jeff Hardy run. Yeah, we've been talking... Because if you go out and listen to the awards, I, I did not have good things to say about Jeff Hardy's TNA run. It was, it was a disappointment for me. And I was quite pleased to finally get to the stage where we're just going to have him fall through tables and jump off ladders and maybe throw hissy fits at uh, botched finishes. Which may be the best part, even. <laughs> Jeff Hardy, first in by the month, January 21st, he faced Lex Lovett. Tanae announces that Hardy and Abyss will face in a match featuring tables, ladders, and chairs at against all odds. They, oh my. they don't yet give it the name... Full Metal Mayhem, not until next week. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come out here with a hot statement, Garrett. Mm -hmm. This is my hot take. Full Metal Mayhem is a better name than TLC. Yeah, get him owned. I fucking I love Full Metal Mayhem, and I wish AEW would steal it. I wish we would just continue the legacy. Full Metal Mayhem is a perfect pro wrestling stipulation name. It does. It just has the there's the mouth feel, isn't it? It's Full Metal Mayhem. It's just it's Full Metal. It, mayhem. It's good words that feel good in your mouth. But the table should be metal tables. That is the only. The only problem with Yeah, it. you should get rid of the wooden frame, and it's just, just the frame of the table. Just the metal of the table. No, there should be a metal top to it. That, that would really hurt. As if just the metal frame wouldn't also really hurt. Yeah, no, that, that would, like, because you'd, you'd, like, fold up awkwardly, too. Mm. Uh, Hardy beats Lovett here with a twist of fate and a swanton. Abyss jumps him from behind, drops him with a black hole slam, pulls out a table from under the ring, and then... Press slams him from into the ring, through a table on the floor, truly kicking off the plunder era. Awesome. Oh, that table shattered too, so it didn't even really break his fall. Just awesome stuff. Oh, press slams to the floor. Bless Jeff. Bless Abyss. We're here. TNA's back. <laughs> they should do the TNA Metal Championship. <laughs> Just full on plunder. Yeah. TNA's never really done a hardcore title unless you count the Hard 10 or Dup Cup, which didn't really last long enough. This is the new Hard 10. January 28th opened with Kid Cash and Lance Hoyt. This is where Lance Hoyt became Lance Hoyt, no longer Dallas. And they said a couple times during this match, it's like, Lance Hoyt from Dallas, just in case you forgot who he was. That's smart. They, they faced Chris Saban and Jeff Hardy. What a babyface tag team. 
the two worst people from their tag teams. Ha 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 You cannot, uh, like, you don't mean that about the Hardys. <laughs> uh, I, I tend to like Matt more. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Come on. What? What's wrong? You, come on. I, and I like Matt. I'm not an anti-Matt guy, but come on. Chris and Jeff versus Shelly and Matt and Shelly and Matt as the heels. That'd be great. Chris and Jeff would be a great team. I say as we're talking about a match featuring Chris and Jeff as a tag team. <laughs> yeah, no, this is fun. I don't know. It's impact match number 17 of the show. Yes, one of the 20 matches that fall between two and two and a half stars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool if you want to see Chris Saban and Jeff Hardy as a team. Right, we both went two and a half for the record. <laughs> yep. Uh, Saban made the tag to Hardy that the referee didn't see, but then Abyss appeared, pulled Hardy off of the apron and brawled out of the building, which allowed Saban to hit the future shock, but Hoyt then had the ref distracted. Cash hit the moneymaker on Saban, pinned him. They're uh, not doing a lot with Saban, but they still try to give him a little something, which is appreci- appreciable. Because like, like Sanjay's not on TV at the moment. Shelly's been gone for a little while. Disgusting. You know what? I, you know what? Jeff was right. Dusty Rhodes is bullshit. <laughs> He'll be back in the summer. Don't you worry. Mm. Actually, is it after Dusty loses the book that Shelly comes back? It might be. Mm. I can't remember the exact time that Shelly comes back. I knew I was right not to trust this guy. He's definitely back by Slammiversary. But I'm not sure is he back before May. Well, well, well. Actually, isn't the first Shocker match in May? So it might be back before then. Either way. <laughs> well, well, well. So that continues the Abyss and Hardy stuff through to the next show where Jeff Hardy faces David Young in a match that went far too long. Yeah, I don't know. Like this David Young renaissance is the most interesting part. <laughs> he is back. I can't say much more about that. He is just back. <laughs> yeah. This match was like five minutes for some reason. I'm like, dude, just beat him in two. Yeah, every other match gets to be two minutes, but for some reason this one has to go five. Mm. Maybe Jeff just had his working boots on. He just wanted to go out there and wrestle. So on the previous show, they, they, they did officially name Full Metal Mayhem. Uh, Tanae explains that the match will be for a future title shot between Abyss and Hardy at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Hardy wins with his moves. Hits the swanton. Hardy launches off a chair. I, I did like that. He brought a chair in for the, the hit the um, poetry in motion on David Young. And then immediately set the chair and just launched off the chair onto Abyss when Abyss appeared at ringside. And then they brawled out of the building, which was strange because five minutes later, Abyss came out for a Lex Lovett match. And I would have loved if, it, like, instead of when Abyss's music hit, he just brawled out of the tunnel with Hardy as if they've been brawling the entire time. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking about Jeff Hardy and Abyss at the pay-per-view. <laughs> we, uh, we will get to it. Abyss, Black Hole Slam, with for the win over Lovett. Abyss pulled the table out from under the ring. Abyss goes for a powerbomb on Lovett, but Hardy comes back out. Abyss then went to press slam Hardy through a table again, but this time Hardy reversed it into a DDT through the table. That was kind of a sweet spot. Yeah, Tornado DDT out of the, 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 the press slam. It's a cool move. Uh, there was nothing on the go-home show other than some video packages. So, Liam, talk us through, at Against All Odds, February 13th, the Abyss versus Jeff Hardy match. So, yeah, I was trying to work out, like, I was trying, I was reading the notes about the finish. because mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I, even me reading it was too confusing. I couldn't comprehend what, what was happening. <laughs> well, like, let's just, the actual match was crazy, first of all. They do a bunch of crazy spots and they beat each other up. But it's really great, it's Abyss and Jeff Hardy doing plunder. But the finish is what's important here. Yeah, so Abyss hits a pendulum in the ropes, that belly-to-belly to to the floor. I always think it's a cool move. Also, Hardy hits a a swanton off the entrance tunnel. It's more of like a... It's not a full do a swanton. It's more like a a pull yourself over into a little tumble and he went ass first through Abyss through the table. 
He will hit better swantons off stages in this company. Yes, we will get the one that you'll see a thousand times in video packages later. So the, the rules of this match, there are two contracts above the ring. One of which yes. has a world title shot, mm-hmm. one of which is empty. Mm-hmm. So at the finish of this match, Jeff Hardy is meant to climb up the ladder and grab the empty contract. Yes. And then he's supposed to be, oh, it's empty. Then he goes through the tables and then Abyss wins. That's supposed to be the finish. Yes. What he actually ended up doing is he climbed the wrong ladder and pulled down the wrong contract. So he pulled down the one that made him win. Yeah, he pulled down the one that made him win. But more importantly, he pulled down the one at which he can be pushed off at an angle through which he can go through the tables. (laughs) So when he went up the ladder for the other contract, which was at a weirder angle and couldn't really be pushed, you know, for for the classic straight line fall through the table bump. The match fell apart. Yes. <laughs> so what ended up happening is he comes down off the ladder and then Abyss Irish whips him and Hardy just launches himself over the ropes into the tables. Not through, into them. That's an awkward, awkward angle. Because it's the classic TLC thing. It's the classic four table stack, uh, two tables, two tables on top that he's meant to take a ladder bump from the ring through. You've seen it a million times in these kind of matches. You've seen him do it a million times. You've seen Jeff Hardy, and you'll see him do it in TNA again in the future. But here, he because he's Irish whipped at, like, regular ring height, he can't fall through the four tables. So he falls into the four tables, and it looked like it absolutely sucked. Yeah. That's one of those... And it obviously did, because he looked like he was in a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah, there's the bizarre reaction you get from Jeff at the end of this match, which is a combination of... That really fucking hurt, and I'm so angry at how that finish went down. <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed. So Abyss just climbs the ladder. Abyss actually, there's a note in the, like the uh, either the Observer or the Torch where the people are like, "Oh, Abyss didn't improvise well either." And I kind of disagree because he did a really smart thing where it's like he looked into the the empty what was the empty envelope and like feigned seeing a contract and kind of pumped his fist. And I was like, oh, that's a nice little way to cover not being able to pull anything out of the envelope, you know? I I honestly didn't even tell that he got the wrong envelope. It was more just, ha, ah, he's gonna he die. And then Hardy at ringside is throwing tables around. He's drop-kicking tables. He's, he's just throwing an absolute fit at ringside over how this finish went down. Listen, does it kind of take away from Abyss winning? Yes. But is it kind of awesome? <laughs> It's like it's like when Sabu would do the same shit. Yeah, he was absolutely raging. It's so funny. Like you could turn that into something with Jeff. Uh, I don't think they do. He should just th- yeah. He should go full Sabu and start drop kicking, putting himself through tables. Yeah. That like the the match is pretty cool beforehand, and then the the finish falls apart. If you get just the classic finish where dudes fall through the four stack and Abyss wins, it's probably a better match. But it's not a funnier match, mm-hmm. and that's the most important thing. It's like just just like the Jeff Jarrett cello thing. If the cello doesn't break and fall to the floor, it's a better moment. But it's not a funnier moment. And we do value things being funny over being good every time. That is the imp- most important metric in the history of TNA. Was it funny? Yeah. It's still not bad. Like, you go watch it because it is kind of like a funny experience. Yeah, especially if you don't really know what happened and you're just like, why the fuck is he freaking out? Like, you can kind of work out why he's freaking out because you look at the table bump he just took and it's like, that's not right. <laughs> Before we move on to the next segment, Gary, mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser won Best Actor for in the Critics' Choice Awards. 
Isn't that movie not and good? And that makes me happy. The Whale? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I was just thinking about seeing it after we finished, actually. I know, I know. like, obviously, it, it ran away with Critics Awards and, like, um, award shows. Not that. the Festivals, that's what I'm looking for. Festivals loved mm. it as well. But I, th- I thought, the, like, the actual reviews when it came out, people were kind of like, eh, it's not that good. <laughs> mm. I'm think- I was thinking of seeing it. I don't think it's out here yet. Mm. But good for him. Because, ever- yo, I'm just happy for him in general. <laughs> Dude deserves some good things. Bring back the mummy. Yeah, sure. And not the Tom Cruise one. I was going to say, Rock's not doing anything. Though, to be fair, the, the Tom Cruise one did produce one of my favorite pieces of media of all time, hmm. which is the mummy trailer without the sound effects, <laughs> which is just, it's so funny. It's probably still on YouTube. Google mummy trailer, no sound effects. You will find the funniest trailer you'll ever see in your life. All right. That's, a, that's our recommendation of the week. Yeah, that, Better Call Saul, and not Devil Re- Devil's Rejects. I mean, you can watch it. Watch the first one, House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm. That one's better. That brings us over to the X Division, where the main feud is the first TNA match, first and second TNA match, as it turns out, despite the fact that they try to retcon the first one out of existence immediately. The first TNA match is between the phenomenal AJ Styles and the fallen angel Christopher Daniels. TV match... I like more. <laughs> you are a sicko. You are a sicko who cannot be trusted, who should be taken to jail. I don't even know if I believe that. I just wanted to say it to get your reaction. <laughs> January 21st, Impact had a Christopher Daniels versus Buck Quatermain <laughs> match. I still steadfastly refuse to believe that Buck Quatermain and Lex Lovett are different people. Um, Buck's, Buck Quatermain does have a better name, though. That's true. Lex Lovett is alliterative. Mm, makes you think. What if it was Quack Quatermain? Or Luck Laudermain. Laudermain. <laughs> Daniels won with the last right light rights in less than a minute. I absolutely trashed them. He breaks out the tr- classic kid cash line that he's sick and tired of the favoritism offered to Styles, where Tanae did note on commentary that he's just jealous. Good stuff. Yeah. Daniels is like a sneaky good like guest commentator. Yet they put him on commentary for basically every match this month, so they do know it. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, like weird, right? Like. They they put him on for like stuff that isn't about him. Yeah, but I actually kind of like that. That like there there are some shows this month where he does commentary for like the first match and then does commentary for the second match, and it's the second match where he has an angle. And I I, I almost like that they kind of do it that way. That it's not like the tell that this is where you're going to get the Christopher Daniels angle. Yeah. But yeah, he says Styles can't beat him. Styles comes out and says any place, any time. Daniel says, "What about now?" Offers AJ ten minutes to shut his mouth. If he does, he'll walk away. But if he can't, he gets the title shot against all odds. Dusty, flanked by Tracy and Trinity, comes out and basically makes the match that Daniels offers for the main event. It is a ten-minute challenge between Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles under those very rules. If Daniels survives the ten minutes, he gets the title shot. If Styles beats him in under ten minutes. He doesn't. Uh, Daniels wins by surviving the 10 minutes. I guess it's... Ten- is that a draw or just Daniels win? I, 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 It's a draw, but he won. Is the match specifically the 10-minute challenge or was it just a regular match with the time limit? That's that's the question. So if, 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 if it's the rules were that, like, Daniels gets a victorious outcome via lasting 10 minutes, I think that... I think it's a draw. I think that technically means Daniels wins. We were at an impasse. I think it's a... I, I think it's a draw, but... Per the stipulation, he still gets the match. Mm. Either way, Daniels uh, desperately avoided Styles and escaped alone for a last-minute pin attempts to survive the time limit. Then Dusty comes out and is like, you'll get your title shot, but it'll be a 30-minute Iron Man match at Against All Odds. Yeah. God. And, you know, Tony Khan, he's been keeping up with us. Yeah. 
He's been watching along. He's always in the DMs saying, oh, I love the show. I love you guys. I'm a best friend, obviously. And, you know, he's been catching up. He watched this and he's like, oh, I'm a match between MJF and Danielson. So once again, the influence unparalleled in this business. Yeah, he hears the words Daniel's Iron Man match. And then he's like, what if yes. Daniel's son Iron Man match? <laughs> we did get Mortimer Plumtree popping up this week. Our influence is unparalleled. We, we are truly... The most influential podcast. Yeah, we we changed the world. Also, by the way, Director of Authority title came back this week. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Another another one. (laughs) Eric Watt's legacy has been cemented by the return of the Director of Authority title. This TNA nostalgia push has been great for our business. (laughs) So yeah, Styles and Daniels will face off at the pay-per-view in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Yeah. Uh, franchise interview style style says he survived every kind of match in TNA he's won all the belts and he can damn well survive Daniels for 30 he minutes. never did full metal mayhem that's true but it was only invented this month well he never did it when he said this in the promo there had yet to be a full metal mayhem match mm. but he hasn't done monster's ball exactly <laughs> did he ever do a monster's ball uh, he did one of the best but it was like five nice. minutes on TV so it doesn't really count did he go without water and food for a week he better have otherwise it's not a monster's ball is it it's the no DQ match uh, for every fourth impact, AJ faced Buck Quatermain. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Could be Lex Lovett. They're, they're the same person. Daniels was also on commentary earlier in the show for the PD Williams versus Shark Boy match, which might have been the best. Actually, no, Styles and Daniels was the best TV match. I think PD and Shark Boy was the second best TV match this month. I was watching PD and Shark Boy, and I was like, Shark Boy should have got an X Division title run. The crowd are so into him. Like, there's legitimately, if you listen, there's a pop when Shark Boy comes out for this match. Yeah. They wanted him to beat PD. It's like the first time we've seen him in a match on Impact since October, so it's been a few months since we've seen him on the show. He was in the Gauntlet match at Victory Road. When does he lose his memory? Uh, that's 2008. Yeah, we're a while yet. The best years. So, uh, PD won that match with the Canadian Destroyer. Uh, Styles uh, faces Buck Quatermain. Daniels is still on commentary. They do call out that against all odds will be the first meeting of Styles and Daniels and DNA. No, it's not. There was one two weeks before this. <laughs> We're just going to ignore the, the thing that set this match up. But they do at least tie in the fact that on the NWA 53rd anniversary show in 2001, Styles and Daniels had a match, which is like truthfully broadly considered the match that put Styles on the map, even though Styles had already done some WCW stuff. That was the match where people were like, oh, AJ's good. And Daniels <laughs> is like, I put him on the map. I made his career. And now he gets all these opportunities that I don't get which I think is a nice little through line for this match to add some like, like outside of TNA history to make this match more interesting, which I always appreciate. Well, I know you're not a, a figure guy, but will you be purchasing the, the AJ Styles wild side style action figure? I will not for one simple reason. <gasps> it's not a wild side style action figure, Liam. It's a WCW Air Paris and Air Styles style action figure. But isn't it like the same gear? Well, yeah, but it's the same era. But the packaging says uh, AJ instead of Air, so thumbs down, minus five stars. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the the thing that they had to do so people would buy it. Yeah, if it was an Air Styles figure, I'd have bought it. But it's an AJ <sighs> Styles figure, and I already have some of those. <laughs> you don't need any more of those. I'm, I'm already full. I only have one, actually, I think. It's the white gear one from, like, 2009, which is a pretty good one to have. Actually, no, I have the red gear one from the Marvel set as well. I have two. I have the, the white and blue. Mm tna one and i think i have like the fluorescent green wwe one somewhere mm. i can't see it so i can't confirm so styles hits a styles clash on quatermain while staring down daniels aj challenged daniels to get in the ring and daniels called him a spoiled brat and said he's gonna wait until against all odds true so my favorite part of this was before either skipper sharkboy and chris saban were set to have a match aj styles was on commentary 
And Daniels came out and he was fucking furious. It's like, that's my thing. <laughs> I come out for the X Division matches. Yeah, he's so upset that Styles is stealing his commentary gimmick. Which is fair. Yeah, then Daniels got a big promo on him. I love that in the previous show, he, he guaranteed at least three falls because of his three finishing moves. It's like, last rights, fall. BME, fall. The other one. Angels it's a good fall. line. And yeah, so so he's getting in Styles' face here. He cuts a great promo on him. Then he steps up and he just slaps AJ right in the face. And it's such a great slap. Like, phenomenal connection. Great Mike Tanay face. Mike Tanay is like, whoa! He goes from like looking like curiously at Daniels to going like full Mike Tanay shocked face. Great stuff. Don freaking out as well. Good slap, good angle, pull apart brawl to set up the, the, their match on the pay-per-view. They um they didn't like do a ton to build to this, but the little stuff they did was very well done. Yeah, and I think Daniels was really, really, really good. Mm. And it, uh, we were talking about this on the watch along about like, well, Daniels never made it as a, a major TV star in TNA in particular, obviously, where it's the only real TV company he worked with. And he, he, it always felt like there was five people ahead of him and somewhat unjustifiably because when you look at like, who is the best all-round performer on this show? Daniels would be in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, as far as consistency. Like, Styles is a better wrestler here, undeniably. But, like, Daniels... Like, Styles' promos, absolutely terrible. He's, he's still really, really bad. Whereas Daniels' promos are great. His commentary is great. His wrestling is great. He, he, he lifts up everybody around him. He's like Mr. Consistency around here, delivering good promos and good matches. And... There's probably like, it, it's an unfair preconception about him that he's not like charismatic, that he's not a good promo. And you watch this and you're like, no, he is. He is. And he has been for a very long time. Mm. So that does bring us to Against All Odds for the X Division title in a 30 minute Iron Man match. AJ Styles defeats Christopher Daniels to retain the title two to one in overtime. Mm. In a match that you thought was worse than the Kevin Nash versus Jeff Jarrett match. Listen, it was an undeniably good match, mm-hmm. but it wasn't Jeff Jarrett Kevin Nash. Come on. Uh, when they ran down the X-Factors, Mike Tanay had a great line. It's not about weight limits. It's about time limits. That's <laughs> uh, solid wordplay. Mike Tanay, is a cl- he's a classic bit guy. He doesn't bring him out, but he loves the door. Yeah, good lines. Good lines. Wordplay. The, 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 the land of announcers. But yeah, they, this was a fun match. This was like the closest we've gone to like an AJ Styles or Christopher Daniels ROH performance. Mm, and this is like... I, I just I adore watching AJ wrestle at this stage. I really do, and he's he's in like the the blue and black tights here. Great AJ Styles gear, and you just watch him wrestle. And he is at that that age where like he is willing to. We talked about this last month, but he's at the age where he's just willing to throw himself around for everything. And all of his moves look great, and all of his bumping looks great, and all of his selling looks great. And he's just put it all together. And like, not that he gets worse as he gets older, but obviously he can't bump the same way as he gets older because obviously he would break and fall apart in many different ways. But just watching him yeah. here, just in the in his pure prime, fulfilling all of the potential everybody knew he had, even going back to that Daniels match, even going back to the WCW matches he had, where you're like, that guy, there's something there. And you watch him at the start of TNA and you're still like, that guy, there's something there. He's better than he was, but he's still not it. And you watch him here and you just watch everything he does. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he gets it now. It's all clicking in ring now. Yeah, and he's not trying to be a heel. Obviously, he still has to do promos and some character stuff, but they, I think they're smart about how little they have him do that. And he just goes out there and he wrestles because that's what makes him different. That's what makes him special. And 
that's what makes this match so good because you have Daniels who's trying to control the match and Styles who's like desperately fighting. So Styles makes a mistake because he's the bit more inexperienced guy. He goes for a 450. He eats knees. Daniels falls with the Angels wings for the first fall. That's around 15 minutes into the match. And then Daniels tries to stall out, which I always like. It's like, all right, I have my fall. I can stall from here. I can like like uh, control him with some rest holds. And it, it's one of the rare instances where it makes rest holds make sense because like while you're one up of course you want to slap a headlock and keep him on the mat yeah there's good iron man psychology in this yeah so daniels tries to stall the match out but styles comes back with a pele then grabs a quick roll up around 24 minutes in and then daniels knocks styles out to the floor and throws styles into the post which busts him open tremendous blade job great visual and then daniels as the other pro that he is just goes after the cut. Like immediately once you see Styles is bleeding, he starts nailing the cut, right? Squirting the cut out. And then I love the finish of this match so much. The last 45 seconds where Styles, Styles mm. is bleeding, he's gushing, and Daniels locks him in the Koji clutch. Which... Uh, and it's just pouring all over him. Yeah, Maitane actively calls out that that's Koji Kanemoto's move that Daniels would have learned while he was in Japan. And it's about 45 seconds left in the match and he locks in this move. And he's just squeezing AJ as the blood squirts out of his head and like drips down onto Daniel's boot and Daniel's leg and AJ's just clinging on and they do the timing of it so well that AJ like seems to pass out right as the clock expires so there's like nah he passed out a second before Christopher Daniels is rubbed here I was livid I was rooting for Daniels Daniels had it here Styles was out the ref didn't get on the call quick enough and then once again <laughs> 1-1, Dusty Rhodes comes out here for his golden boy, fucking restarts the match, AJ Styles gets an unfair advantage, and wins the last fall against Daniels, uh, it's bullshit, Daniels has a legitimate gripe here, he should have won. It is funny, like, I was thinking, while you were giving this match a horrible rating and saying it's the worst match in the history of wrestling, that I was thinking while we were yes. watching this, that, like, it's the most invested you've been in a finish in a while, where you, like, you really wanted Daniels to win? Because it, it was worked perfectly to mm. that. And once again, Dusty Roads just ruining everything. <laughs> so yeah, Dusty comes out, he starts overtime, a sudden death, first fall to a finish. Daniels puts Styles on the top, he's looking for a top row Frankensteiner, and then Styles just launches him up in the air, where yeah. Daniels is like a good 15 feet in the air as he comes down. It's an insane bump. And then Styles hits a ran out of the corner, floats over into a Styles clash. Uh, he wins 2-1 in sudden death in the Iron Man match. <laughs> I was screaming no. <laughs> you were so upset. As I said, I was shocked at the rating you gave because you were invested in the match, which is the reason I was actually kind of surprised that you giving it, like you gave it 3.75. I think I kind of bullied you into giving it slightly higher than that. No, like my, my I, I had the fear of going four. Mm. That's, that's all it was. It was between three and three quarters and four. And you landed on three and three If Daniels had won, it would four, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Here. It would have been a better finish. Uh, the finish of this match rocked, though. He, he fucking launched him in the air when he went for that hurricane run. <laughs> yeah, but imagine if Daniels came down and just hit the angel's wings out of it. That would have been insane, and somebody would have died, but in a good way. And I would have gone four and a quarter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really liked how this match was worked, how Daniels got the first one on a mistake, then tried to control it, but Styles fired back with his like his classic out-of-nowhere move, the Pele, who also passed away in the time between the last recorded episodes. And Don West named the Pele as well. God, that's a that's a weird thing to come together in a couple days, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, but even like the way they worked the the ten minute match, I loved the end of that match too, where like Styles was going on a big comeback rallying, and Daniels obviously just had to last out the ten minutes, and Daniels just started doing tumbles to keep AJ away from him. He's he did like uh day like 
you're just starting your wrestling training and you're going and doing all your rolls to get away yeah, from him. Yeah, he's just like, if I roll, you can't catch me or pin me, so I'm going to roll. <laughs> it's like, that's so good. Uh, yeah, I love this match. I think this match is great. Particularly like that last visual of Styles trapped in the Koji clutch as the blood is squirting out of his head. It just makes that moment land so much more. That moment of- that, That's like one of my favorite endings to, uh, I know it's not like, but you know what I mean? Like It's one of my favorite ending spots to a match we've seen in, comp- in the company at this point yeah it's it's so perfectly executed all those sickos who don't like blood are weirdos and monsters who don't understand pro wrestling and great finish great finish great match unless you have like a legitimate reason <laughs> no we'll get this <laughs> then you're allowed to not like blood yeah you could you you have a fair reason you uh, mr headbutt of posts over there <laughs> yeah, you you did your time you're allowed to not like it anymore oh mm. uh, yeah great match styles retains the exhibition title two to one in overtime uh, the only other major X Division major is probably putting it strongly. There's a an Elix Skipper versus PD Williams match on this show too. Uh, PD went for the Destroyer. Skipper reversed it into the Sudden Death, his new finish, which is just an air raid crash. Mister Generic finishes over here, going from the Overdrive to an air raid crash. Uh, it's better than the Overdrive, so what can we say? That is true. It is a modest step. It, it's uh, wrestling training school finisher number one to three months out of wrestling training school finisher so hey he's not busting out the tko i'm happy yeah that is true that is the other where does that rank it's number it's number one because every mid-card wwe superstars wwe main event guy who they pushed for three months and then gave up on was doing the the tko Mm. i despise that move if you want to look more like a jag you do the tko but yeah skipper beat bd decent little match uh they did also announce by the way that ultimate x will be back again <laughs> we just had one in january it'll be back in march at destination x then we can turn it down yeah i wonder is it just because they called the show destination x so they, they feel there needs to be ultimate x or is it just like it was well received last time so let's do it again so we might sell some pay-per-views i'm not sure but it is oversaturation isn't it mm. too many ultimate x matches Tag team division, AMW streak of all-time classics is over, Liam. Yeah, um, it is a shame, mm-hmm. but you know, it couldn't last forever. They just have a nice little this title match. This kind of was just, eh, it's alright, you know? It's a good little mid-card tag match. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, so January 21st, we have a segment in which Kid Cash and Dallas... Still Dallas, I think, here? Confronts AMW backstage. <laughs> it's like, uh, they've become the hunted because their tag champs, Harris says, he welcomes the hunt and they'll take on anybody, which causes Kid Cash and Dallas to walk up and be like, we have history with you. We're two-time tag champs in our own right. How about we make that three-time tag champs? It's a good it's a good enough reason to go for a title. Yeah. The Naturals face Shazarian then in a match that ends in a no contest when Cash and Dallas run in. Tanae is like, this match will help us determine the challenges against all odds. And I guess because Cash and Dallas beat both teams up, I guess that makes them tag, 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 tag contenders. I mean, it's wrestling, I guess. <laughs> it does feel like they're building to like a contenders match here between like these three teams in some way. And then Cash and Dallas just end up number one contenders. Because um, they have a personal grudge. That's true. Which outweighs all rankings, as we know. Brawl broke out. AMW ran out. Attacked all of them. Security broke them up. January 28th, Cash and Hoyt. Again, named Hoyt the January 28th episode. Uh, defeated Saban and Hardy, which maybe is the match that made them number one contenders. I don't know. Uh, yes, because number two contenders, Chris Saban and Jeff Hardy. That makes sense. Both very good tag team wrestlers, as we've discussed. As I was talking about, um, like, the one cool thing I want to say about Naturals and Cesarean is that I do enjoy seeing heels on heels 
because like that's not a combination we've really seen much from yeah and we're, we're coming toward the end of frankie in this run which is again one of those convenient timing things given he just returned to impact full-time the, right before we recorded this but we, we we don't need to to you don't have to do a career eulogy yet liam uh he, he's not gone he has another match in, uh, in the next pay-per-view cycle but then he's gone i'm not doing a eulogy until 2027 or something <laughs> when he's gone for good yeah Main event of one of these episodes, it's the go-home show, is America's Most Wanted, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes versus Kid Cash, Lance Hoyt, and Raven. I do love an all-star tag leading into a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It may be the laziest booking possible, yep. but I like it. I am right there with you. <laughs> Where it's just like, yeah. there is no ideas. We don't know what to do in a go-home show with these guys. Let's just throw them in an all-star tag. But also, I enjoy it, and I always like seeing like the the stars from different programs interact with each other heading into a pay per view. And they're like, this match was nothing special. I think I gave it like two seven five. It was a solid little TV main event. They had some like really fun like strings of offense in mm. this, which I thought was neat. Where like they were all coming in and hitting stuff one after each other. Yeah, it's just it's the easiest match to do well. And I get why promoters, since the start of pay-per-view cycles, have booked, how about we throw two or three of our matches together and throw it on the go-home show as a tag? Because it gets all those people on the the go-home show, and you'll have a pretty good match, and I'm happy. That's one of those, like, lazy booking tropes that you can just do every time, and I'm fine. And if you've ever played TW with Garrett, you do. (laughs) I do. I am very fond of it. (laughs) So that brings us to Against All Odds, where Kid Cash and Lance Hoyt, I have to get up saying Kid Cash and Dallas, challenged AMW for the NWA World Tag Team titles. It was fine. Yeah, good little match. I think, like, three and a quarter-ish, whatever we gave it. Check our star ratings at tnhad.com. Yeah, they had a nice little story where Hoyt clotheslined and hip-tossed Storm on the floor, and then Storm sold his back for most of the match, including Hoyt. The coolest spot in the match was hitting a top row sidewalk slam on Storm. I thought, yeah, Hoyt's been stepping up a bit. Yeah, there was a note about how people are, like, impressed with him, that he's kind of gone about things the right way, not, like, desperately trying to get attention for himself, or or uh, come in there with a chip on his shoulder or an attitude. He's just come in there happy to learn, happy to improve, and happy to get any opportunity he can. So it seems... Seems Hoyt's impressing a lot of people, even though he never really gets pushed in this TNA. Room. I um, I specifically said that, hoping you would bring that point up. Mm. We're just we're just rocking here, baby. That's podcast co-host instincts. Thank you. For the greatest of all time. Keep us in mind for the VOW podcast awards. A definitely real thing. Cash hit Storm with the tag titles, but Storm kicked out. Then Storm rallied to hit a death sentence to retain the titles. It's a nice little finish where Storm like tried to lift him. It's funny, they did it with Hoyt rather than Cash, but tried to lift Hoyt for the death sentences back gave out, but then rallied and the crowd got behind him and then they hit it and they retained the titles. You didn't see, but I gave it a thumbs up. Far from the all-time classics from the last two months, but a nice little pay-per-view title defense. Yeah. The other thing in the quote-unquote tag division. Yeah, I mean... This had like a month and a half of build, so... The long-term build to the in-ring debut of Jeff Hammond. Yeah, so last month we saw Shazarian bullying Jeff Hammond mm-hmm. as he was training with the three live crew, which is a bullyable offense, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and now we're getting the lead-up to the actual match. The highlight of this entire build is Jeff Hammond being dad-jacked. Yeah, he's the classic like 40-year-old muscle dad, isn't he? Yeah, it's great, good shit. He pops the top off in some angle, and then you also wrestle David Young. <laughs> he has two matches. Matches might be a generous order. It's not even the in-ring debut. <laughs> That's true. So- he, he, he wrestles and beats David Young. <laughs> uh, so January 21, there's a backstage interview where Franchise had 3LK, 
they talk about how Jeff Hammond is a, tr- thr- a trill seeker, asks Cesarian to underestimate Hammond at their peril. And then later in the show, Mike Today does announce that BG James and Jeff Hammond will face Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane at the pay per view. Three Life Pit Crew. It's a good name when they say Three Life Pit Crew. That's like, again, that's like, oh, good wordplay. Well done. You did it there. <laughs> uh, main event of the next episode was Michael Shane, Frankie Kazarian, and Eli Skipper against the Three Life Crew. Mike Tanay on commentary explains that while yes. Jeff Hammond may have never wrestled people, he has wrestled steers. So in his fighting with cows and bovines, that may have taught him something about fighting humans. I mean, if I could beat up a cow, you could beat up Frankie Kazarian. Probably beat up a human. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. It's like if I could take out a cow, I can take out Michael Shane. Yeah. To be fair, Michael Shane, Texas boy, maybe he's also grappled with some steers yeah so funny that he made that as an argument the transferable skills of fighting bovines if i were booker Mm -hmm. i would have done a a classic tna comedy segment where shazarian go to a bar that has a mechanical bull and and have kaz and michael shade try and beat up the mechanical bull (laughs) fiji hit the pump handle but the referee was distracted by conan and skipper in the ring shane hit an elbow drop out of nowhere allowing kaz to pin bg and this is where Hammond came out and tried to explain everything to the referee, and then he pulled his shirt off and demanded a fight. Let's fucking go. I'm hooting and hollering. I like the way you, NASCAR has solely been redeemed in your head through Jeff Hammond as opposed to Hermie Sadler. Hermie Sadler sucks a sav. <laughs> he, can, he can go away forever. Jeff Hammond, he's my man. February 4th, Impact. Cesarian were mocking David Young for being a loser, and then they were like, hey, hey, you should wrestle Jeff Hammond. That's the thing you should do. That's how you can get a win. And David Young was like, oh. And then Frankie told us that NASCAR stood for non-athletic sports centered around rednecks. Is he wrong? He's quite rude. How would Sean Cedar feel about this? Um, Positive, I think. See, I'm on Team Shazarian and he's on the Jeff Hammond team. Mm, mm. You're the David Young. He's the Jeff Hammond. Nah, listen, I don't know. <laughs> I'm the Tracy. Damn. Actually, Tracy's not with them this month, so maybe they did actually separate them. Yeah. I was going to say, like, having Tracy in that segment would have made it better, too. But in my fictional, they go wrestle the, the bull segment. Mm, she's, like, so impressed with the bullfighting. Yeah, I want to talk about how AEW is doing TNA comedy but not committing hard enough. I, was, I need to iterate on the idea slightly first, where, where someone tries to hit on Tracy and then Michael Shane super kicks them and they start a bar fight. <laughs> no, that, that would be what they do if they were baby faces. Mm. Tracy gets hit on and then like starts like reciprocating the hitting on while they're wrestling the bull in the background because they're so hyper focused on fighting the bull. <laughs> good, good. AEW, you 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 you're delving into TNA comedy, but you're not committing hard enough. How dare you do a funeral for a, for a wrestling tag team and not do it in an actual church? That's just bad pro wrestling. It's bad pro wrestling because you could have had. You would have had the ass boys leading it. You could have had the firm there and Stokely playing the role of Team Canada. Mm-hmm. You could have chucked all these other people in the in the thing, and it would have been a perfect homage. But no, you cheaped out and you did it in the ring, and that's just despicable. More on location TNA comedy promos from AEW. They can afford it. You can do weird shit. Go do it. Uh, that is the downside. Like AEW, I, I think it's kind of like a, a consequence of them maybe not having the shows written until like Tuesday, Wednesday. But they don't do a lot of that stuff, like on location stuff, do they? No, it's something that needs to be brought back to wrestling. They need more long term planning. Yeah, one hundred percent. Get these vignettes on your television show, but of course, AEW they'd be forty seconds long. That might be the problem. Yeah, you got to give them like a solid three minutes to breathe. Mm. 
Has AEW ever had a segment as good as Eric Young going to buy condoms with <laughs> Jeremy Borash and and James Storm being there and making fun of him? No, no, it's the answer. Have they ever had a segment as good as Mick Foley being sent to meet with the Hulk but meeting with Lou Ferrigno? No. <laughs> Never. Like, seriously, why can't we, like, they're so, like, tantalizingly on the edge of, of getting mm. it. But they're not quite there. It's because TNA is the only consistently funny wrestling company. It's the true fact of the universe. But, like, you can do it <laughs> and make it charming. They fly everyone out the day before. <laughs> You can shoot many things. You can shoot BTE bits, <laughs> but you don't have time to go out there and film some fun stuff. I don't know. This is what I would be pushing in my pro wrestling company. So Trail K walked up, accepted the cha- challenge on Hammond's behalf, leading to February 11th, where Jeff Hammond made his in-ring debut against People, <laughs> against David Young. I thought you were implying you were just skipping to the pay-per-view match, and you're implying that David Young isn't a People. Listen, that is the question to be answered. Um, it's fun. I was disappointed. I thought Hammond, who came out in an all-denim fit, which I thought he would appreciate. Yes. I thought he was going to wrestle in all-denim, but he did take the jacket off. It's ridiculous. Uh, Trail K hit the catchphrases. Hammond's signature phrase appears to be the pit stop, which is also his finish. <laughs> great. And, uh, yeah, Three Life Pit Crew, great name. Well done. Uh, David Young hit a suplex, but BG hit the pump handle slam, and F- Hammond followed with the pit stop elbow, which is... Think about a people's elbow, except <laughs> he grabs like the side of an imaginary steering wheel, runs around the ring a little bit, and does an elbow drop. 10 out of 10. Jeff Hammond is tremendous. It gets zero momentum while he's doing <laughs> no, it. No, he just does the movement for the sake of displaying the fact that he is a NASCAR driver. <sighs> uh, Shazarian jumped Hammond after the match, but Trill can't make the save. Which takes us to the pay-per-view. <laughs> BG James and Jeff Hammond faced Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane. Hmm. I mean, listen. It's celebrity match on pay per view. That's fine. Yeah, Hammond doesn't do much at all. Which except win. He does win. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, I kind of appreciate like like celebrity matches have gone too far into the realms of celebrities being good. Yeah, and and, uh, and, and they've gone too far into the Logan Paul Rookie of the Year <laughs> statement. People are very mad that he didn't win it. In the PWI awards, of all things. I mean, he shouldn't, but sure. Like, I don't know. They're, they're, I kind of like wrestlers like Tabin to just come in and do a body slam and an elbow drop. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I like both. I can appreciate it. You know what? I, actually, here's what I've worked out the key to celebrity matches, Gary. Mm-hmm. I like celebrity matches when I know the celebrity. Ah, probably more importantly, like the celebrity. Yeah, like that's what it takes. You put Action Bronson out there with Hook, I'm like, yes, match of the year. You do Logan Paul and The Miz at SummerSlam. I'm like, terrible. What are we doing? Yeah. If it's Johnny Knoxville and Sami Zayn, also match at the Oh, greatest comedy match of all time. <laughs> DDT could never. The WLC Memorial match. <laughs> Hammond was accompanied by Brendan Gone. Gone with a G. I thought it was Vaughn, and I Googled it. And the... More like Gone with the Wind, because he was out of he there. He was. He literally walked to the top of the tunnel, and before they even showed him, he was gone. Fucking tremendous pun. Eat shit, everyone. In this world. Uh, you and you're gone out of there and Dawn with the Wind. Good puns. Well done. Dawn with the Wind was slept on and I'm still pissed about it. <laughs> they had a perfectly normal celebrity match as mentioned where Hammond is just like doing headlocks and uh, body slams. And then he wins with his pit stop elbow on Kazarian and Shazarian were pissed that they had to do the job. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, sure. On the one hand, I get because like you could just have BG pin them and BG's a wrestler. You also think perhaps they would have been less pissed if they did more in the lead up? Yeah, 
uh, like I'd say, like your your lower card acts get over it. <laughs> that would be my ultimate response to them. It's just like sure, but I'm like, if they had have had a hypothetical segment where they wrestled a mechanical bull and uh, they did some fun <laughs> stuff like that in the, in in the lead up, I think perhaps they would have had less of a less of a problem with just losing the match after they were like hanging out for a month. Yeah, they had like ten minutes on TV cumulatively until they lost. They apparently complained a lot. Management blamed a lot of it on Shane Douglas, who was considered Shane's mentor, as they believe he made a bad situation worse by telling them that it was BS for either of them to get pinned by a 48-year-old race car announcer. Uh, it was mad enough that Jared considered firing Douglas, <laughs> maybe even to Shane and Kazarian. That seems like it, was, it would have been an extreme reaction. But then we could have got Scott Hudson back, so... That's true. Fire him. Get franchise out of here. Uh, Hammond is a major player at Fox Sports. He's an announcer for one of their shows, knows the president, and it's basically something to earn brownie points with the network. So the undercard tag team can get over it. Yeah, there's more value here. Yeah, and it was mentioned in USA Today. It was mentioned on the Fox Auto Racing shows, and I'll have a segment on the Speed Channel. And like Dave notes that it didn't sell a single extra pay-per-view, but ultimately what they wanted was to get the brand name out there. And they probably achieved that. And Frankie, and it's like it's not like Frankie and Shane were doing anything. It's not like they had momentum to squander. It is kind of funny how like wrestling has changed and evolved to where it's like we've gone from like Jeff Hammond sports guy to like top selling Spotify artist, Bad Bunny, Snoop Dogg. You know what I mean? Like things have developed. Yeah. And I, well, I guess WWE like, had Mr. T who was like a, and Cindy Lauper. Those were proper like A tier stars in the eighties as well. Yeah. hundred Well, the, the rock and wrestling connection saved that company. Yeah. And like WCW had Leno. They had Dennis Rodman who were also top tier celebrities in the nineties. It's just TNA don't have access to top tier celebrities is what we're learning. Well, we had Chris Rock. We had Adam Sandler this month briefly <laughs> there was a video package at one stage on one of these shows from one of the fox super bowl parties where it's like adam sandler was there and he was on camera for like two whole seconds in a pa- in a package so that counts well i was say the adam sandler thing was so sparse that i didn't even notice he it. zoned out on the monty brown package i didn't even listen there's so many fucking packages okay i'm sorry like terrell owens was there as well or some other sports sports stars i don't know sports guys you don't know american sports i don't know most sports to be even fair. though you sent me a message about the jags last night oh you know I, i've been a, a lifelong jags fan <laughs> since i worked out the tony khan just them. like everybody in aew i do adore that like all of their games seem to be they're down by 20 something points and then they just win yeah i i desperately hope that they win the whole thing because a it's very funny and i live on funny bits mm-hmm. But B, because I want to see if WWE sends them the belt. That is the ultimate, like, outcome here for Paul to send him a WWE title and Tony Khan to be like, look at my WWE title, I'm going to throw it in the trash on Dynamite. No, not even on Dynamite, they should do it at, like, whatever presentation they normally do it is. He just drops it and pulls out an AEW title with a big Jags logo in the middle. (laughs) Last but not least is Raven against Dustin Rhodes. A pretty solid mid-card feud. We call that the Raven effect. (laughs) That's where the move name comes from. Ah. Yeah. So, Raven. Mm-hmm. Th- this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Why? He-, he just keeps losing. He won on the pay-per-view. I know, but on the build-up, he's- he just loses. He did lose to... Who did he have... Who did he lose to? Eric Watts. That's who he lost to. <laughs> He just keeps losing. I like the, 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 He's losing upwards to the title. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird build. It's 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 strange. It is strange <laughs> because he does he beats Dustin Rhodes here, but he may not beat Dustin Rhodes next month. We'll get to that. 
Yeah. On the first impact, January 21st, he faces Cassidy Riley. Raven transitions from an ankle lock to the Raven effect, pins Riley after pulling him up twice. Then he broke Riley's fingers. Yeah, um, that was cool. I did appreciate that he just broke his fingers. Raven, I, I do really love like Raven's presentation besides the losing right now. Mm. If he was just like a guy winning everything, that'd be a better build. But like... His look, his viciousness, it, it is, it's all coming together here. We also had a tremendous Raven moment on Hard to Kill. <laughs> where oh, I saw that. Where Steve Macklin and Ritz Swan are brawling outside center stage on the streets of Atlanta. And then Raven just chimes in. It's like, I hope they get hit by a car. <laughs> and he says it with like a glee in his voice. He sure did. He's like, I hope they want to get hit by a car. <laughs> if you look at the version on Instagram, I did deliberately cl- uh, clip it so that it literally ends on Raven. It's saying, I hope he gets hit by a car. It's a great punchline to that video. <laughs> Uh, and a hell of a spot too. Yeah, the the cutter onto concrete. It's like all those videos of people wrestling in the real world. They all do RKO's. Oh it is maybe the most popular move of all time. So yeah, Raven broke his fingers and grabbed a chair before Dustin Rhodes made the save. Yeah. It's a little late, buddy. His fingers are already broken. Uh, they seem to be trying to do something with Cassidy Riley. Yeah, the idea is that he's going to be the apprentice of Dustin Rhodes or Willie. Oh my gosh. From PW Torch, there is a lot of second guessing of Dusty pushing Dustin, who friends still say hasn't recovered emotionally from being released by WWE. Dustin isn't impressing anyone with his energy level or enthusiasm inside or outside of the ring, but Dusty is pushing him for obvious obvious family reasons. I I can't speak to how he is outside the ring, but I feel like he's delivered inside the ring. (sighs) He's not having great matches, but his matches are fine. They're not offensive. But also, most people aren't having great matches. Every TV match is two stars, so I can't give out to him. Like, I think he's just a fine mid-card addition. And yeah, all of his pay-per-view matches are, like, he works a body part, very traditional pro wrestling match. That's not bad. <laughs> so, next episode of Impact, The Naturals defeat Dustin Rhodes and Cassidy Riley. Hey, well, at least The Naturals got to win. It was meant to be Watts, but Watts has a separated shoulder from the pay-per-view. We did do the eulogy for Watts slightly too early. This is his last appearance rather than the pay-per-view. But Hey, yeah, I remember when. <laughs> we did have one more little treat of Eric Watts walking out with his shoulder in a sling. Hey, I remember when Eric Watts walked out with a sh- his shoulder in a sling. Whoa, that was on this show. Yep, they're good. We're all updated. I did appreciate how Watts wasn't wrestling because of a separated shoulder. But Riley was wrestling, even though Raven broke his fingers last week. Oh, the broken fingers aren't as bad. You can just tape them up. You're fine. You can fight someone with broken fingers. I'd I'd, hesit- I'd hesitate about doing it with the dislocated shoulder. So the finish of the opening tag on this match was Abyss shows up, brawls away with Jeff Hardy, Kid Cash, and Lance Hoyt pin Chris Sabin. The finish of this tag later in the show was Raven bra- shows up, brawls with Dustin Rhodes, and then that allows the Naturals to pin Cassidy Riley with the natural disaster. Exact same finish and two tag matches on the same show. Good job, guys. Fun. <laughs> Good. Oh, your, this is your man. This is your Dusty Rhodes booking here. I blame the agents. Whoever agented the matches did not communicate with the different finishes. I'm sure Dusty was just like, Naturals go over and Raven shows up. And then whoever laid out that finish, shame on them. It's probably like Shane Douglas's fault. <laughs> oh, classic Jeff Jarrett defender. <laughs> February 4th, Cassidy Riley is sitting down with Dustin and Raven comes back. Uh, <laughs> I like this segment. It's dumb. Yeah, Raven comes out. It's like, I'm so sorry about what happened to your fingers. It was an accident. <laughs> it was an accident as I deliberately stood above you and broke them. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they'll face it against all odds. It will be Raven versus Dustin Rhodes. 
and they were in the main event six-man tag. It was AMW and Dustin Rhodes defeating Kid Cash, Lance Hoyt, and Raven after Dustin pinned Raven with his running bulldog. Yeah. Which ultimately tipped off the finish because on the pay-per-view, Raven beat Dustin. Yeah. Leg work match, Liam. I like Raven's ankle lock. Do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's better than the other thing he was doing. What other thing was he doing? He was doing like another submission for a bit there. Was he? Yeah. What? Wasn't he doing like an arm thing? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but I thought he was doing an arm thing and I preferred the ankle lock, so. There's something like enjoyable about watching someone who isn't like a super like athlete looking guy like Kurt Angle doing an ankle lock or like a Ken Shamrock. Mm. Like just this weird creep <laughs> is just like grabbing onto an ankle and he does the standing version, which is way better than the 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 sitting down into it. Mm. So this match, Raven targets the leg uh, with an ankle lock. Dustin goes for an ankle lock of his own. Raven rolls through. Dustin collides with the turnbuckles and then Raven grabs a pin with his feet in the ropes. Post-match, Raven locks Rhodes in a straitjacket. The man has a, a great grasp of how to tie a straitjacket. Yeah, he's done it before. He's done it. He's gotten out of them before. This is a man who knows how a straitjacket works. Like, there are a lot less complicated spots involving a lot less complicated props in pro wrestling that go much worse than Raven tying Rhodes in a straitjacket. Because not only does he tie him in a straitjacket, he also then unties it to tie him to the turnbuckle so that he can whip him. And all of that, absolutely seamless. This man knows how to handle a straitjacket. It's right into that how you will. It's actually remarkable how well he handles a straitjacket. <laughs> uh, security eventually ran him off after he tried to whip him. Perhaps building to a strap match next month. You never know. <sighs> And that's it. That's February. A pretty low-key month on the whole. He wasn't there. Oh, that's true. A pretty senshi month on the whole. <laughs> I would agree. I felt very senshi about it. How do you feel about Caval? <sighs> I can't think of a pun. <laughs> And that is a good note to end it on. If you would like more content, you can listen to our Against All Odds Watch Along at tnhat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me. You can listen to our first episode of our PWG review show coming up next week. We don't have a name for that show yet, so whatever you want to come up with. I want to call it Gorilla Radio. Uh, Gorilla Radio is the name of the show. Never mind listener suggestions. See, um, we'll take suggestions for Lucha Underground show. Yeah, so you can name that show like you named Review It For Her and then I could never remember the name. <laughs> so... Patreon.com slash gettingmetnhat.com for that. Against all odds, watch along for next week for our first episode of the PWG show. You can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. You can follow Liam on Twitter at the Cleat Winner. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Follow us on TikTok at TNA History. We'll be back in two weeks with the Destination X 2005 episode of You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Thanks for listening and bye bye. Do the damn thing. Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shinnihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography.